0: Uh, this is Gavin Hawk, and you guys are listening to the. What is this podcast again?
1: We're just going to jump into it like we do every week. Welcome to another episode of the Bladeology Podcast. I'm Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas. Nick Chuprin of NCC Knives. And Elijah Isham of
2: Isham Blade Works. Uh,
3: Gavin Hawk here from Hawk Knives.
2: Uh, Grant Hawk, the other Hawk from Hawk Knives. Awesome.
1: So as you can tell, we have some very cool guests on this week. We are happy to have Grant and Gavin Hawk on with us. Uh... Let's let's go for it, guys. Uh, give us give us a little update. You just did um you just did a deadlock drop. Uh, how did it go? Uh,
2: how are we doing? Let <laughs> Gavin. Yeah, yeah, do that, Gavin.
0: Uh, it went uh, great and terrible at the same time. Uh, <laughs> we we were trying to get away from PayPal uh, because PayPal originally had a terms of service that restricted Switchblade sales. Um, which, of course, now they've changed. So now uh, their terms of service, I don't know, it's some ambiguous sentence, uh, Mm. something about, uh, according to applicable laws, weapons are uh, outlawed based on applicable law. And so, anyways, I called them for a clarification of that, and they said, yeah, switchblades are fine, just make sure you... uh, As long as they're being sold from a legal state, being sold to a legal state. So Hmm. anyways, going forward, we're going to go back to using PayPal. But uh, anyways, this last drop, we used credit cards for the first time. And so uh, in the first 15 minutes, our um, fraud detection filters kicked into place because our... Hourly velocity was too high, which then stopped people from being able to purchase. And then the cart got overwhelmed besides the credit card companies. Um, and, and so we sold the majority of them in about 15 minutes. And then, yeah, everything crashed. All sorts of problems. Uh, emails started flooding in. Calls started mm. flooding in. Uh, they couldn't get their cards to work. Um we finally, maybe fifteen, twenty minutes later we we got it all on track. I think most people gave up by then uh and uh we did finally end up selling out um, but it was just a total mess. Hmm. and um, we had people that would not give up, and they entered their I have one guy uh he entered in his card information fifty times
1: oh wow, wow. he
3: that's...
0: He was declined forty sometimes and then approved what the remainder um and that was kind of the theme of the night is people just entered their credit card information over and over and over, uh getting denied and then finally being accepted. so we had people that ended up putting you know five or eight deposits down that we had oh, to wow. go back oh, well, cancel their orders. Because uh, we had a two per person limit, and ah, anyways, it was a total clusterfuck. Um, and we're Damn. done using credit cards.
3: yeah, um, uh, well, I can yeah. relate because my first pre-order I did the same thing before the PayPal was fully integrated to the website. Mm. I was just credit cards, and I had the same issue because it's like all oh, your, your normal ratios of what you go in a day, and all of a sudden you get a lot at once. Yep. I the same thing. It's like oh, well, we have to check in on your system. It's like we got to make mm. sure it wasn't fraud. It was a, it was a, it was a it was a pain in the ass back then as well. Yeah, Similar so I, I'm sure there's a few customers out there that tried to
0: purchase and didn't follow up with us. Um, but so I apologize to all the people that are listening to this that thought they were going to get a deadlock and were declined.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's that's an un- unfortunate, but at the same time you sold out. So I mean that's you know that that part's good. Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, it, it all worked out in the end, and so. Uh, by the time we went through all of the orders and the people that either uh you know actually wanted to or they emailed us and followed up and said they tried to purchase and couldn't um yeah we we got them all sold so uh
1: that's yeah. it <laughs> yeah. uh well, so i mean that's that's um what batch is that again remind me that is batch 7 wow okay that's awesome so that that design has been uh, it's been good to you guys. That's been a proven, a proven seller. It's an, it's an awesome knife and, um, and it's kind of a cool segue uh, because it's a dual action out the front knife. You guys are kind of known for being knife wizards. You have come up with these amazing mechanical uh, designs. And um, so how did we get to the deadlock exactly? What, what number design is that or, or how did we, how did how did we get there? Let, let's let's go back a little bit into the the annals of history, if, if you will.
2: Well, I think in the beginning, uh, Kershaw called us and asked us if we thought we could design an out-the-front auto, and so um, so we decided to give it a whirl. And I think we spent uh, I don't know we might have flittered away what almost a year if we're going around it was kind of part-time
0: yeah part-time designing was about a year uh, Mm. but
2: anyway we drew up designs and uh, had these ideas in mind and just couldn't get it to work the way we wanted it to and before we actually uh, well we never did on that first design we never did find one that we liked and before Uh, We got done agonizing over it, Kershaw called and said they'd changed their mind at legal, had advised them not to get into it anyway, and so that's Uh been, what, six or seven years ago, I guess.
0: Roughly, yeah. And
2: so we kind of gave up, and then thought about it for a year or so in between everything else there is to think about, and started over again, and... Uh, that time it started to look promising. Uh, we just worked on the mechanism only with um, more or less crude prototypes, prototyping the mechanism more than anything. And we finally felt like we were closing in on it and tightened up the design and one thing another. The principle, I think, uh, kind of came from a mechanism that's used in... Uh, an aircraft fastener where you, you have a pin that has two balls or one ball maybe that sticks out at the end and when you press on a button it releases those balls and allows that pin to be withdrawn so it's used to hold you know, I don't know different covers closed and one thing or another and so we kind of used that principle of the ball locking mechanism and we were trying to Get a mechanism that uh, would would work without any drag at all from the time that you trip the blade, whether it's opening or closing, that the blade should travel completely free without drag uh, of a spring-loaded lock waiting to engage at the end of its travel, and so that was kind of key to the design. Is that we wouldn't trip the lock until the blade had reached the end of its travel, going yeah. in or out. And so to do that, we, we put a, a trip at the end of the travel that would, wouldn't engage the lock until the very last moment. And so we exploited that as far as we could go. And then when it started to look promising, then we tried to figure out how to get all of that inside of a knife. Uh, seems like uh, something that we run into a lot because we have uh, mechanical designs with lots of parts is that everything wants to occupy the same space and so then it becomes a challenge of getting all of those features to work within some kind of a compact uh, three dimensional space which is always the challenge. but. Anyway, uh, it went very slow. It took us a long time. I think we worked on that for over a year before we started to feel like we were going to be able to pull it off. And then, Mm -hmm. as we got into it and started making them, uh, we discovered problems. We built a contraption here in the shop that automatically opens and closes the knife. It has a sensor on it that tells how many times it encounters, it it, how many times it opens and closes, and how many times it tries, which is not always the same. So we built the machine, and then we put our test prototypes on it and run them till they croaked, uh, until they failed or uh, or not, and then would take them apart and study the mechanism, try to figure out what went wrong, make corrections, run them again. So We have an awful lot of time just in R&D, which I've come to believe means wreck and destroy. (laughs)
3: Let's start using that. Uh, (laughs) Now, I I didn't want to interrupt you, but I had a question. When you guys started designing the deadlock, was that a design concept right from the start that you wanted it to have no blade play? Because until now, it hasn't really been something that's been achieved.
2: Well, and that was, yeah, that was the main focus in the beginning um, because for that exact reason that it hasn't really been done and uh, it's always been hard for me and I think a lot of others to take out the front autos seriously because uh, blade wiggles all around and so I think a lot of people have kind of turned their backs on that style of opening because again hard to take serious. So we started off with that in mind, even in the beginning uh, with trying to design something from Fort Kershaw. They didn't ask for that, Uh, but we asked ourselves of that. And so that was the main goal from day one. How to do it was never very clear.
4: Hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's why we abandoned the first design. I mean, it worked. We could get the blade to shoot in and out and... Uh, but there was always a little bit of blade play, and so we abandoned the whole system, and then later came back to it with a whole new, fresh uh,
1: perspective. Right. I mean, it's. I mean, you're. I hear Grant describing the mechanism. I've I've opened, I think, each each iteration probably except for the for the first one. I mean, I have a, a pretty strong understanding of, of mechanisms, but what is intriguing about the, the one on the deadlock is the zero drag thing, which I think gets overlooked a lot, Yeah, which is that the, the movement just sort of flows inside the knife, so once the blade is in motion, there's nothing pulling against it. It's not, you know... that That's a tricky one to try to describe to people, um, but it's really yeah. important because it, it keeps all the momentum um, into the locked position, into the open and locked position.
2: Yeah, and... Uh, Sometimes I think of it as uh, like a bow and arrow. And so you shoot the arrow from the bow, it doesn't touch anything until it hits the target. And so that was what we were trying to achieve. So the blade is completely flying free uh, in its raceway, all the way to the very end. And then at the very end, it trips um, a mechanism that then uh, engages the lock. So that it's free flight uh, over the entire travel. So if you think of
0: other OTFs, they all uh, the lock is already in position. The blade hits the lock, pushes it out of the way. The blade goes past the lock, and then the lock engages. And so that moment where it pushes the lock out of the way uh, um, is what kind of slows it down. And so a lot the way they compensate for that is having a really strong Button uh, or strong thrust Mm. springs uh, to be able to overcome that lock. And so um, we can actually go really, really light on our spring pressure, uh, but people really wanted them stronger. And so um, we're stronger because of that, not because they're needed, um, but we're still a lot lighter than all of the competition. And so that's why when you handle a deadlock and play with it, it feels really smooth and easy to operate compared to uh, other OTFs.
5: That's and the one thing I've noticed, like, especially, is like how easy it is to actuate. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a, the, one of the best selling points. Oh, yeah, for it's, sure.
0: it's not something we, we put at the, the forefront mm-hmm. of it, uh, because the, of course the no blade play is the, the big deal, um, but coming oh, yeah. in second is, yeah, it's just su-
3: smooth and easy to operate.
5: Yeah, you're not destroying your thumb, right? Having to open the thing. Yeah,
3: yeah. one of my big surprises with with uh, the deadlocks was because I, I kind of followed the build from the very first batch. I believe I seen the first batch ones, the one that Levon had because it still had the rubies in it. Correct. But i uh, mm-hmm. just following your progress, seeing the photos and the videos you made on it. It's very like you look at batch one, batch four, whatever. However you did it, a lot of the inter- like the outside profiles, almost all look the same. But internally, I'm surprised how like you. On some of them, it's like almost an entire redesign. <laughs>
4: yeah, like I yes, remember the,
3: <laughs> the first one was like a circular cutout with almost like a, dove, like a dovetail key system, almost if I remember right. And then like the recent ones, kind of like an L cutout now, uh, and they're a little different. I mean, they're quite a bit different actually on the blade on the blade
1: end. The the most recent mechanism is is by far I think the best. I mean, look looking at that, I totally it makes the most most sense.
4: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
3: Well, the goal is always to improve. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to touch up on the deadlocks? Because we kind of skipped ahead to modern day. I wanted to talk about kind of your past, because like when I when I found you guys, I was still a collector the time before the Instagrams, uh, and like I owned the the, the Kershaw Ram, uh, the Sheepdog, I think that one that had the the, ca- the carabiner slash like push thing at the be- at the bottom. The ET. The ET. Yeah. Yeah. That one. I had both of those, but you know. I've, what drew me drew me, drew me over to your knives, and I was still a collector, was uh, you look at folders, it was always a system opener, or a thumb stud, a flipper, or a hole, but then always you saw the name Hawk Knives, and it was always some yeah. neat mechanism. It was never just like, oh, it, it opens. It, it opens with a, with a caveat or something like that.
0: Yeah, I think the, so the only thing really to add on the deadlock is to expand on what you were mentioning before, is just the, the evolution of the design. Um, and so, yeah, we came up with that original prototype, um, and, uh, the, the goal was let's make this thing lock up solid and we did it in a very complicated, uh, way. There's a lot of parts in there in the, in those first 14, uh, and then from there we kept refining the goals for each new generation. And mm-hmm. so uh, I don't know, I'd have to go back and look at my notes now. I, I think a lot of it I, I would mention when I dropped the next batch, but it was uh, definitely from the, the prototypes to the, the first generation was just eliminating parts, trying to make it easier to manufacture, uh, and then down the list to uh, designing it so that the user could take it all apart without uh, worrying about springs flying all over the place. Um Making it smoother and and so each generation had a design goal of the mechanism to improve it in some way or the other, um, to where we are now, uh, which I, I haven't made any changes from the from batch uh, six to seven. Um, everything stayed the same, and so I think we finally uh, figured out the best way to to make it.
3: No, how many design like batched batches did you actually change up the design i guess if you only said six to seven so about six uh yeah i think we've had probably
0: eight generations and i should have mm. uh, at the time i wasn't thinking about it uh but i should have wrote you know what generation each knife was as i went um because we had <clears throat> there was a couple versions where halfway through the uh the batch I changed my mind and and started making things differently. Um because I would I would get to assembly and you know the first 15 went great and then all of a sudden uh I was starting having issues with a certain component and so I'd reengineer it and uh and then all the knives after that would have the the upgrade. Um and so but but every every batch up until 6 uh, was different. And then there was one batch that had uh, a switch right in the middle of the batch. hmm
4: mm-hmm.
1: So, and you also, to be noted, you have applied and, and have a patent on that, on that mechanism for the deadlock.
2: Correct. Just the patent issued in record time. Uh, we've done, I'm not sure how many, quite a few patents and. A lot of them, especially the early ones, we had to fight tooth and nail to get uh, a patent done and argue with a patent examiner and so on. And uh, on the deadlock, uh, they they took it as is, uh, coming out of the chute, uh, no changes. Uh, We got a letter from the patent office that said they were accepting it as is and their research they could find nothing even resembling what it is that we were doing and so we were home free that was that was the first patent that we'd muddled through uh, without a big battle at the end
0: because they generally will come back and say oh well we found these hedge trimmers that have this feature <laughs> and we found this pull cue that also has this feature and it's <laughs> It's OTF pretty obvious. Hedge trimmers.
5: <laughs> yeah, it's
0: pretty obvious to us. If you combine a pull cue and these hedge trimmers that you get this design. And so therefore, we're not going to allow you to patent, you know, this part of your invention or or wow. this is obvious. And it's it's always annoying and uh generally pretty frivolous, but uh but yeah, in this case, like my dad said, it there was no Uh, There was none of that. They just said, yeah, okay, good job. That's pretty impressive. Here you go. Here's your patent. Uh, And that process generally takes, uh, I mean, patent pending can be up to about five years. Um, And and we've had several that have gone three or four years. And the deadlock was
2: six months. Yeah, it was really quick. A quick turnaround. It, It waits in line for an examiner to look at it. And then that's when the trouble starts. Uh, but in this case, the examiner didn't have it in hand uh, a very short time, and we got a, a letter from the patent office that they were issuing the patent, accepting it as is, without changes.
1: Interesting. Mm. I just talked to that well, guy. huh?
2: Mm.
1: So, uh, I hate to go on a tangent, how many, so how many patents do you guys have?
2: i don't know <laughs>
4: yeah. okay all right right. Two minute account, That's <laughs> okay. for sure. I, I
2: think well and so the the very first ones i did all by myself which was a major pain <clears throat> i had no idea in hell what i was doing and i just muddled through it the very first patent was for a shock absorbing stop pin and uh anyway i ended up having to talk to a patent examiner on the phone and he shot down every theory I had until I discovered that there's a little-known provision in patent law that says if an individual inventor is having trouble writing a claim to cover his patent and if the examiner thinks that there's um, An invention in there somewhere that the patent examiner has to write the claim they're required to write one claim because no matter how many claims I wrote which is the part of the invention that you're claiming as your property uh, no matter how many I wrote they shot them down on one feature or the other and so Uh, I brought that up with a patent attorney, I mean with the patent examiner and cited the rule and he agreed. So he wrote the claim uh, and I think there were a couple of dependent claims that went with it on that very first one. Later as we got into it, we had done collaborations where uh, patent attorneys, for example, working with Kershaw, uh, took the patents over and did the patents. Uh, we waded through the first two or three, mostly by ourselves. And then we started working with a patent attorney, which was a big help. But we do all of our own drawings, and I write the entire patent in the text here. And then I send it to the patent attorney, and they go through it and find the problems and redline it and send it back, kind of like submitting a um A thesis to a professor or something and so they polish it up and then that's where we go so that's really the way we do it now is we do it all ourselves then we give it to a patent attorney to make the corrections and that's worked out well and it saves an awful lot of time and money in patent attorney fees
1: yeah there you go i imagine at this point if if you've got so many patents you don't remember then it had to streamline
2: that a little bit. Well, it's probably around a dozen. It's okay, not, it's not like it's in the hundreds or anything, mm. but uh, I think we have a, a, around a dozen patents.
4: Mm. Now,
3: th- this might be a private question, but like roughly, what does it cost to get something actually patented?
5: Uh, it well, depends the, on
2: like greatly on what you're going to get patented, right? Well, is so There's a big difference in the way we do it and maybe just walking into a patent attorney's office and say, I have this idea. Will you write me up a patent? And so I'm going to guess here a little bit, but, um, like on the deadlock, for example, uh, if you had just, uh, taken some sketches in or an idea, uh, pencil drawings and one thing and gave them to a patent attorney, you could probably expect $15,000 Fifteen to twenty thousand dollars in patent attorney fees. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way we did it by doing all of the drawings here, uh, writing all of the text, and only asking them to do corrections, it's probably in the neighborhood of two thousand, three thousand, something like that. Well,
3: that's a big difference. And yeah. for some reason, I've always kind of assumed it was like about be fifteen to twenty grand. So I was pretty close there, I guess. But yeah, uh, I've never. Never really asked anyone or about. It. I was always, I was just always curious. Like, there's a guy's who at a patent thing, and I'm like, "Are you going to make that many that it was worth patenting?" And fifteen to twenty grand is a big investment if you can't if yeah. you don't know how to write it up yourself.
2: Yeah, well, and it's hard because there's always a difficulty between the inventor and the patent attorney in communicating exactly what it is that you're patenting. And and with some experience behind us, we became more aware of the pitfalls and how to. How to write the text, and I don't know I studied patent law a lot, and uh, and so that all helped. And reading other patents, uh, which is something we end up doing a lot of, uh, but just get it, it's like a language of its own, and the words have special meanings only known to patent law. And so using the right words in the right places becomes important. and still, we get corrected a lot, uh, I'll write the text for a patent, and the patent attorney will, um, again, they'll redline our work and send it back and say, well, this should be phrased that way, this word should be used instead of that word, and a lot of little details like that. So we still rely on on a patent attorney's experience and state of the art and so on. And yeah, if, I,
0: you were, if you were to do the patent your, yourself in its entirety, the filing fee is like $500, yeah, or, $500 something. or something? Yeah, $500 or
2: something. Yeah, and then mm. a few other fees, but it doesn't, It that's not a lot. It's not the filing fees that it costs. Right. It's the patent attorney's time, and, and they get paid a pretty fancy wage, and yeah. so it adds up in a hurry. And then when you factor in the lack of communication between what the inventor is trying to say and what the patent attorney is trying to understand what you're saying, uh, then there's a lot of back and forth, and all that keeps the clock running, and that's what runs the bill up. Right.
1: Yeah, those attorneys they tend to charge by the hour.
2: Yeah, uh, I think our what the hell is it four hundred, four hundred fifty an hour or something, something like I that. See. Yeah, yeah. So you want to choose your words carefully. Right. Well, <laughs> right. And they yeah.
0: and they you know break that down into ten minute segments. So oh yeah. If yep. you send them an email then then you get a charge for it <laughs> so you just yeah. gotta be careful what you yeah. what you ask for
1: yeah right. mm-hmm. so now grant you said that um so the first patent you applied for that was that was just you you were on that patent by yourself I think so, uh, yeah. tell us tell us a little bit more about that where did you, where did you how did you get into this how did how did you had a knife making and knife designing <laughs> what What year was that patent filed how about that
2: Uh, I don't know if I remember I started making knives in the mid 90s. Um, Gavin was pretty young yet and going to school and and I had been in gold mining for quite a few years a long time and uh, about it well actually in the early 90s the price of gold dropped seriously. I was making mining equipment uh, the demand dropped for the equipment. I had a lot of holdings in uh, mining properties that were suddenly worth much less and so on. And so I was just actually looking around for a way to make a living without uh, – we live in a small town in the middle of nowhere, And, and so I wanted to be able to work here. And I had kind of a shop set up that I'd been making mining equipment in. And so I don't know. I was just experimenting with things and thumbing through a knife magazine somewhere, and got interested in looking into it. And at, at one point, we—I uh, suggested to Gavin, and again he was probably ten oh, or something—and yeah. suggested that we go to Eugene and go to a knife show. Hmm. And so we drove over there, and we spent the whole whatever three days wandering around the knife show and talking to the knife makers and talking to customers and trying to get a feel for it and when we came back from that show uh, we talked about it in the car but I just felt like that was an arena that I might be able to compete in Uh, I'd never been a knife enthusiast like everybody everywhere i've always had a knife and used a knife and uh lived outdoors for uh a good deal of my prospecting and so on uh so anyway it just looked like something that was doable uh that we could do i didn't have uh any real machine tool well, I, I had i guess i did have an old mill that i'd used in the mining equipment but uh, I was pretty much just kind of self-taught as I went along and bought old rickety machine tools and brought them home and patched them up and made them run and and just tried to figure it out step by step uh, how to make something that somebody might buy. And so the very first knives were fixed blades and they were kind of a cowboy design because I'm also kind of a cowboy. I was raised on a ranch. And so... Those went well, Uh, people liked them, but uh, they were uh, really hard to make, had an awful lot of time in them. And then as Gavin got older and he started doing shows, and uh, I think that I noticed somewhere along the line that a big attraction for knife buyers was unusual mechanisms. And so, started to focus on how to make an interesting knife and uh, less on how to make uh, another knife that does the same old thing that all knives do and um, I remember seeing a knife in Eugene uh, that had quite an effect on me. It was and I don't know what it was and I don't remember the name, but it was made in Germany and they had, a, they had an example there. And then behind the table, they had uh, a drawing that was probably three or four times scale, a cutaway drawing of how this knife worked. And so when, when you pick up the knife, you can't figure out how to open it. But if you look closely, there's a little crank handle that was ins- uh, inserted into kind of an inlay in the overlay of the handle. And so you pop that crank handle out, and then you plug the crank handle into a socket up near the blade, and then you rotate the crank, and that cranks the blade from closed to open. Uh, Totally, completely impractical (laughs) way to make a knife. However, it attracted a crowd, and everybody was amazed. And the knife, I don't know if I remember the whole story, but... It was uh, for sale for something just a little south of 10 grand. And it it was a totally impractical knife, but very well made, but quite a curiosity. And so with that, uh, I convinced myself that the curiosity factor mattered. And again, that might be a point of focus where we might be able to bring something original to mechanical knives. The ET uses a toggle mechanism that I don't think has been used on knives before that, um, but it's well known in the mining industry for one thing, that's how a rock crusher works, as uh, with a toggle mechanism it's how the german luger pistol locks up and it's used in injection mold uh, machines that holds the dies closed and the toggle mechanism has a lot of interesting advantages Uh, and so the et was an adaption of the toggle lock principle to a folding knife Mm -hmm. and that kind of put us on the map Uh, that was uh, the first collaboration with Kershaw and our first real exposure to uh, more or less mass market and so I think we've kind of exploited that niche all the way along adapting uh, known mechanisms from other industries into folding knives Wow
1: I mean, I, I think that uh, the the luger thing I didn't really until I, until thinking about it. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense actually. Um,
5: yeah, um, the uh, the toggle on the back of it that yeah. actuates the mechanism. That's pretty cool.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love and, how uh,
5: your guys' designs like are stri- <coughs> like pretty much branch completely from the mechanism, and then you kind of work out
2: from that, like not that's right.
5: aesthetically at all. it's like completely. <coughs> Mechanism based.
2: That's pretty that's cool. right. And so I, I don't know. I I may not be much of a designer. I don't know, but I uh, but I start with with the mechanism, particularly in those early designs, and try to get all of that to work, and then draw a line around it, and that's the handle. <laughs> and so yeah, some yeah. of them are a little clunky looking, but then uh, they have kind of a character of their own as well.
5: Wow. Yeah, it's a breath of fresh air for sure, because so many knives are. You know, frame lock flippers. It's like, it's right. pretty, pretty boring seeing the same thing over and over. And I, like, I appreciate the fact that you guys are like doing pretty much anything new Like every time you make something, which is pretty unique.
2: Yeah, well, that's been kind of the fun of it, is to try to put those two worlds together, the, the world of mechanisms in general and knives in particular. Yep.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, is there any a mechanism that it's particularly fond of?
2: That, that uh, you like well, one over oh, now, the now other? we're fond of the, <laughs> the no, the is, is that,
3: like, <laughs> fond, like, that was it, it, probably would be the deadlock. But is there any of the mechanisms that, uh, that's like your favorite that you wish would have been really in demand or something like that? Like one that was very, uh, unique and interesting.
2: Well, probably the most unique and interesting and uh, that broke a lot of the ice for us was the ET. Uh, because it was such a strange-looking creature, uh, worked in a in a way that few people expected, and uh, and that kind of set the stage. I think uh, it, it was a big leap. The lock the lock before that was uh, what we called the dog lock, and it, it was nothing radical. As so, a matter of fact after we first started making it uh what's his name uh, blackie, blackie collins, collins. blackie mm-hmm. collins called and said we were infringing on his patent huh. uh, no. the uh, well, dog lock and, was
3: the ram no no it oh, was uh.
2: before that it was a it was a sliding bolt that uh, was engaged by tracks between the two handle frames that was spring-loaded forward and it worked almost, almost like a door latch or something. Uh, but Blackie Collins was right. Uh, I knew so little about knives that I didn't even know that he had uh, he had designed one. What was this? The strut- bolt action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that was called the bolt action one. Yep. Uh, he had designed a knife that worked on a very similar principle, oh, wow. and so I agreed with him that we were infringing on his patent after talking to him on the phone and then looking at his patent and so I called him back and we negotiated a deal where um, we paid a royalty to Blackie Collins or um, the last whatever it was maybe the patent had almost expired I think it had less than a year to go and so because we were already making making my very small scale uh, and we had, we had entered into an agreement with Columbia River Knife and Tool. They were going to manufacture it. But the, the time that they would start manufacturing would have been after the patent had expired. Uh-huh. So uh, talking to Blackie Collins, we made a deal to pay uh, a royalty on our knives we made here in the shop up until the time that the patent expired. And then by the time Columbia river came out with it, uh, it had expired and there were no royalties due. but I kind of learned my lesson there about uh, paying attention to not trampling on other toes and uh, gave me the notion that the designs needed to be more radical than that. And so uh, so I, I don't know if it was exactly the next one, but I think, the T came right after that didn't it was it?
0: the toad came next
2: oh the toad okay well and the toad was it was actually a toggle lock as well but uh, configured entirely differently and harder to make and a little harder to use uh, but it it had a good following just because it was so interesting and so off the wall and then after that then uh came the the
3: two dump studs right you had a recent custom that got lost well not recent but correct okay i'm just trying to remember
2: yeah it had it it had a two locking stud that protruded from both sides of the handle frame yep Mm uh it was a, a little it took it was kind of tricky to operate well uh but again it 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 developed the following just because of its uniqueness as a conversation piece. Uh, but the ET was a little bit more practical, and it was a little more in your face, and that it was obvious what was going on, how the mechanism worked, and so on. And so the, again, that was kind of the design that uh, launched us you know, into knife world. Well, wow. the Toad's the
5: one with the actuator in the middle of the handle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So we came up with the uh well actually came up with uh a knife we've never made the uh the Catlock or the Mechanical Marvels it later was called. Um and that used a toggle mechanism. Uh but it w- had a uh a level beyond that. It had a a sliding button that would manipulate the toggle through its path. Open and closed so you would slide the button one way and it would open it. You'd slide the button the other way and it would close it and we we actually took that to Gerber and They thought it was great except uh, They would prefer to start with something simpler. So we we isolated the toggle mechanism from that design and came up with the toad Um, and uh, Gerber debil- uh, uh, deliberated on it for quite a while, and finally came back and said that it was just, just too complicated mm-hmm. still, uh, and they they declined it. <clears throat> uh, so then we started making customs, and everybody loved it, uh, except that they couldn't tell how it worked, um, and so they would. Uh, they would peek inside and you know, they're trying to figure out how this thing works. So we made a version that had some cutaways kind of like a, you know, a fancy gun um, show exposing the mechanism. And that was kind of like the show that stole the show. Everybody wanted to play with and look at the cutaway version. Um, And so that uh, after the first show showing that um, prototype, uh, we designed the ET um, with the idea of, of, of trying to make the mechanism uh, more exposed so you can see what's going on. And so that's what the ET is, is a an exposed or external toggle
1: mechanism. That makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. You uh, know what
5: design I really like from you guys is like, like a standout? They're all great, but for me, the uh, Crucial Induction...
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Chris, I love. I
5: appreciate a hidden flipper tab, and you got you got a nice hidden flipper tab on there.
0: Yeah, it's funny because we didn't design the induction. Uh...
2: <laughs> really? Yeah, I was trying to think well, what what was <laughs> that? I'm looking yeah. at Gavin redesign a knife. I forgot.
0: Uh, <coughs> it's our mechanism, but it's uh, uh-huh. it's a Kershaw design.
5: Well, hey, I mean, you had to you had to pop uh-huh. that mechanism there and make it work, right?
0: Yeah, and so and they the the flipper that you like the. That you mm-hmm. like about it, um, yeah. that was in the RAM. And so uh, they were essentially copying our geometry
5: based yeah, on the, the one.
0: RAM design. Oh,
5: that's okay. it. That's the one I'm thinking of because it had a hidden flip. Yeah, had a hidden flipper on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yep. the flipper was just rotated so far forward and it just barely poked out. But mm-hmm. as soon as you started to uh, engage the flipper, then it it kind of exposed
3: itself. In,
0: yeah, the it becomes
5: more pro like a uh, proud and then you can right. get more uh, purchase on it
3: mm-hmm. but, but honestly we all know what's your truly your best design it has to be the kershaw shuffle <laughs> yeah
0: right <The> <laughs> <Kershaw> <laughs> shuffle. he's he's making a joke oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the one i
5: was thinking of. was the ram right yeah yeah,
0: yeah it's funny so the the select fire which is came before the shuffle um was is really popular. it's still popular Um, and I think Kershaw wanted to, uh, exploit that further. And so they came up with that shuffle and Uh I don't think it did that well. I don't,
4: I don't even know if they still
0: make it or not, but, uh, the select fire is going strong to this day. It's, uh, it's kind of an ugly
2: thing, but is it it, the
3: show? Oh, sorry.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of homely looking, but it's, it seemed to have struck a nerve. Uh, it looks like a tool. That mm-hmm. was made to be a tool instead of a, uh, I don't know. It's not streamlined or anything, right? Uh, but it it performs the function. It works well, and it's done well for us. And uh, how long they've been making that? Six no, years, seven years? Yeah,
3: I think they still make the shuffle. I feel like I saw one not too long ago at a store. That's why I got to mention that it, because it's like it's something yeah. I see everywhere they sell knives at. Uh, okay,
0: and and it's the shuffle. The shuffle's the one that has its a little bottle of and a little oh, it's the bottle opener one, okay, yeah, I'm thinking yeah. of they came up with a um so the the select fire has uh a, a quarter inch driver that pivots at the rear and then it has the um quarter inch bits in the handle and then they came up with a version that had a quarter inch bit driver that slid out the back um and then it i don't know it had bits held in it somehow. Um, so it was kind of an adaption of the slight fire. Didn't you design it? But well, We didn't design it. No.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, cause you're like the built bits are in there somehow. I'm like, uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, uh, that was an in-house Kershaw design. Um, and I think they were just trying to expand upon that line of, and that concept of a bit driver and, and bits, um, but uh, I don't think it did very well. So I don't.
2: I, I the strong point on, the, on uh, the Select Bar was that you had such a long reach with it when right. you opened that driver. And their competing design didn't really. And I think that was a, a big difference in how useful it is. If you're, uh, because when you need a screwdriver, not only do you need a screwdriver tip, you need a screwdriver shank you need oh. to be able to get in crowded uh, narrow places and and run a screw and so uh, i think that's part of the reason that the select fire has hung on for so long and still doing well uh, is because it's more useful hmm.
4: mm-hmm.
2: i don't know if jeremiah if you know about this or not
5: but uh could you guys tell us about whatever happened to the 0650 the ZT
0: 0650? Um, yeah. That's kind of so, a rare
5: one. It's kind of like a, most people don't really know about that.
0: Yeah. And so that was during the transition uh, of Kershaw making switchblades and mm-hmm. then deciding they didn't want to make switchblades.
5: <laughs> so, Jeremiah, <laughs> from, are you familiar with this knife? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay. All yeah. Right.
0: yeah. And so it's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It did pretty good. So we were, so we had the 0650. Um, which we always called the Combat Auto. Uh, oh. That was our name. And then and then uh, ZT had a special... They uh, use a number system. Yeah, yeah, they had a number system. Nope. So anyways, it became the 0650. Uh, they had that mechanism and then just a push-button mechanism that Tim Galleon had designed. Um, and so the idea was they were going to test which one... Sold better, uh, Tim's or ours, and I don't know. I think we were in a dead heat, and then and then they just changed philosophies at Kershaw and decided they didn't want to make switchblades, so they quit making all switchblades, yeah. Um, and, and then they're I, back at it, and now they're back at it. I, I don't know, it was like four years ago they decided to start making switchblades again, but they did not bring huh. back the uh, the crossfire mechanism, is what we call it.
5: Hmm. It's a weird mechanism, right? It's got like two pins in the blade
0: uh yeah, and so it's an adaption of the of the hawk lock that the uh-huh. ram used um, but the idea on that one is that the the safety was integral to the firing mechanism so,
5: Oh, wow, okay
0: so it would uh to fire it you would the the button moved in an l shaped pattern um, so when it's over to the left, it's locked. You push the button over to the right, and then you pull back to fire it. Right. So it's uh, like a
5: built-in safety.
0: So it's a built-in safety, so you don't have to release the safety and then press a button. It's with um, one fluid movement. Yeah,
5: it's pretty awesome. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and so we made a few customs that way. Um, I guess I, mean, I don't know two two designs that had that, and then Kershaw actually did a collaboration with Emerson, uh, and they did. Um, I don't know what the heck it was called, but they did an Emerson auto
2: commander or something wasn't it uh,
0: i don't I just don't remember I don't, I, maybe I'm not right but uh, uh anyways, they made a run of those through Kershaw for Emerson <laughs> that had our crossfire mechanism in it, and those are even more rare uh yeah, yeah, I, don't I, I don't
1: think I've seen that one uh-uh. yeah huh the the fluid movement thing is um. That that's that's the trick. That's that's a that's a neat mechanism. Um there there are certainly uh very very few autos like that uh that that you see. Which sort of bridges did you guys have you always been interested in making switchblades? Is that just part of the like you saw that as part of the, the knife realm? Or were switchblades something that you sort of avoided for a while?
2: I don't know if we consciously avoided it or not. Uh yeah, yeah I don't think so. I think it was just kind of considered another way to make a knife, but we didn't really uh, pursue it uh, too much. Uh, we didn't really get hot on autos until we started trying to figure out how to make an OTF that would lock up tight, and then we put a lot of steam into uh, an automatic knife from that point forward. But
4: hmm.
0: well, and, and I mean, we—I uh, think a lot of it had to do with. Um, being able to innovate in that realm and so uh, like we've made very few fixed blades uh just because it's hard to come up with a you know an an invention with a, a fixed blade and then um the autos that we started with we started with one that we could uh add some type of innovation which was the the crossfire mechanism and so we did that i don't know we did two or three designs that way and then uh, yeah, we just got distracted with, with other, uh, inventions, uh, that kind of pull us away from auto. So it was, it's less about the, an auto versus non-auto or a flipper. It's, it's how can we put a, an innovative mechanism in it?
4: Okay.
1: Um, wow. I mean, that, that yeah, makes sense. It is tough to innovate on a fixed blade. Uh, there's not a whole lot of room to wiggle there. Nope. Um, um so where, where does that... Uh, I mean, the mud, though, the mud's... Well, but the mud mechanism is logical because it really is just you add a spring to it. That's right,
4: yeah.
1: Hmm. All right, so what, what design came after the uh, 0650?
0: Oh, that's tricky. Let's see. Um... So we had the mud knife and then the 0650. Oh, the mud was... Okay, right, yeah. Um... Yeah, what that, that was about the end of uh, our relate working with Kershaw, um, and so the next design probably would have been the strap lock uh, that we designed oh, Buck. for Buck. Hmm. And I don't, well, we,
4: I don't call that stra-
0: one. we call it yeah, the we call it the strap lock. They called it the um, secure. Something it's already mark. a worse name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, okay. uh, I don't uh, remember what they uh, called that's... it. Um, but the uh, the name of the knife was the Marksman. Um,
5: it's got name. that, like, that back spring on it,
0: right? Yeah, so the, uh, the idea there was it has a, a similar to the old stiletto switchblades, the oh, Italian yeah. switchblades.
3: I had one of these.
0: Yeah, and so oh. we took that mechanism and converted oh, it into a, a pick lock and okay. a flipper. Yeah, it's a pick lock, right? Okay.
4: Um,
0: and so the strap uh, adds tension to the blade tang for a flipper, um, and so then uh, then you, yeah, you flip it open, and then it's also the lock. The downside of those old pick locks is that they wear out over time. Uh, they kind of
5: chew away at the interface. Yeah,
0: they, Yeah, right. And so that's why almost all the old uh, autos like that have blade play in them. And so our innovation there, besides turning into a flipper, was adding an adjustable backspacer that moves the lock back and forth. So mm. as it starts to wear, you can loosen the two screws and adjust a set screw and then tighten it back up and now... Now you have lock up again.
3: By the way, the the lock was called SLS, standing for Strong Lock System. Yeah, that's wow.
1: it's custom. <laughs> that's so innovative so it's inventive, than, uh, original. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah that was, was all. The, the, <laughs> the <box> for that. <laughs> uh, the
5: pick lock is great. That sounds perfect. Yeah, scrap lock. Yeah.
3: Now, uh, I have a question. So the first knife that I got from you guys that wasn't a production design. It was a mid tech, so I got the beetle. Now, was yes. the beetle that was the first time you guys used that mech, or we or did that like come from the ET? Uh,
0: no, that was the, the first time we, we used that. So it's uh, so the ET had, of course, it, it locks. Um, later, we adapted the ET to a non locking version, which was the grip lock that Boker made. Um, but the both of those are toggle mechanisms. Uh the beetle itself is um it's just a link. It's just a loose link that's um that's attached with uh, the bungee. And so uh when you grip it, you're just holding the link into a locked face. Um and then when you release it, it's more of just a detent and it closes.
3: Yeah, it, it, it was one of my fair knots because I I lived in New York and I was like, I need something that's legal. It didn't technically lock. It had a, a high fidget factor. Yeah, like it sat around for like six months. I didn't open it, and the the bungee got weak. And you told me just to bake it, and that worked. Like mm-hmm. I still have it somewhere, but I can't find it.
0: Yeah, and and it hopefully it didn't weaken again. I've I've recently discovered the the real cause of why those bungees were um, starting to lose their memory, uh, and so I have it on my every time I make my new to do list. It carries over onto the new list, but uh, I need to remake the molds for that and remake the bungees. Um, I I wasn't getting enough pressure when I was uh, molding them, uh, which uh, related to density of the material, um, and so. Uh, anyways, the um, once I yeah, once I remake the mold then anybody that has a, a beetle, I'll send them a new bungee uh, that should last.
3: Well, I I, I was under the oh. impression because when it's in the closed position, there was more tension on the bungee, so I just thought it was because it was under constant tension if you store it while it's closed.
0: So, uh Yes. And uh, and so <laughs> it it should have been... Well, one, it shouldn't have been an issue, but since it was an issue, uh, leaving it in the open position would, would be the best option.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, like I said, you just want to bake it. Baked it as good as new. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, I got the... It was just too expensive for me to keep. I liked it. I the When you guys did the Microtech haul out with the longer one. Oh, yeah.
0: The, the ta- well, we called it the Tangent when we made it. And then uh, Tony Marfione didn't like the name Tangent because uh, apparently several other knife makers had made knives called the Tangent.
3: Um. So then he went on a tangent. Why it can't be called a tangent? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I
5: wish yeah. I had the soundboard.
0: Uh, and then, and then it was called
3: the Axios.
5: Right. Okay. Wow, that's a way better name.
4: Yeah,
3: <laughs> I, I had that one. It was, it was cool, <laughs> but it, it, the ones that they released in that first batch were all like the masks. It was like sixteen hundred bucks. I'm like, I, I couldn't keep it at that time.
1: Yeah, those were those were pretty crazy.
3: Yeah, they were expensive.
1: There yeah. weren't too many of those.
3: There
0: was twelve of them.
3: Well,
1: there you
0: go. Uh, They have two of them, and I have one.
3: Hmm. Yeah, they had them at the uh, what show? Did you? Okay, uh, I got a
0: tactical. Oh, uh, TKI. TKI.
3: Yeah. Okay. No, I didn't get it from. I didn't get it to the show. No, I think I got. It. I think Brady had them. Oh Pretty yeah, much. that's oh, right. Motea, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. That, okay. I, remember, cause I was like, oh, this is, uh, this is seems like a lot compared to other customs. So I don't know if there was a second everybody I bought it. I, just, I wanted to check it out. and I sold like a week after.
5: But it Again, was that def- Hidden flipper goodness right there. Yep. 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 The way that arcs back and then it like... The way the flipper's integrated is pretty beautiful. You know, yeah. ne- I've never seen that on anything else.
0: I really like the tangent. It's one of my favorite designs. Um, I have a, a redesign of that. Uh, that actually gets rid of the bungee and then turns it into a locking mechanism. Uh, I just haven't, uh, yeah, I just haven't had time to uh get into it and make a prototype. Or the last three years have or four years have been all deadlock.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what about? I mean, we skipped over it and I, I wanted to just jump back for a second, but the the mud, so that because you did um zt had a had a folding mud that they did and um then you guys eventually would go on to do i guess properly termed mid-tech um of the
2: mud we made the first mud and then we uh, uh, that was a collaboration with kershaw uh with our design Hmm. and that actually relies on the same patent as the ram okay Uh,
0: no it's backwards oh the the mud knife is what we patented and then oh that's and, then right. the okay, ram and then we
2: used it for the ram relies hmm. on the mud patent yeah it's the same patent that covers both of those oh that's tricky yeah okay. cuz because it, it, we started off with the mud just wanting to make a knife that couldn't be fouled by dirt which is one of the big objections to any kind of a folding knife over any kind of a fixed blade is Mm -hmm. that fixed blades don't get fouled by dirt and quit operating. And so the idea was to make a folding knife that would achieve that same end but still fold. And so the whole idea was that the locking mechanism should be entirely sealed from outside influences, uh, dirt, sand, so on. There were a lot of reports of people having trouble with making things work uh, when they were deployed to Afghanistan or whatever, or the first Gulf War, just because the sand was so fine and blew everywhere and fouled uh, firearms and, um, and, of course, folding knives. And so the whole idea there was to make a folding knife that would work uh, in spite of anything that you, you put it through. Uh, in our first design, when we first sold those at a show, we had um, a cookie tray full of wet sand and would demonstrate them by rubbing, the, packing the whole knife with sand all over, very fine wet sand, and you couldn't tell the difference. You could open and close it. Uh, it worked just fine. It pushed the sand out of the way, and there was no surfaces uh, that were interfacing with each other that could be fouled by sand.
5: Hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, pretty cool.
3: No, I was going to ask, but you already answered the question. I was wondering when I saw the design before, like when I first saw it, I was wondering if it, it, it was designed for like a military contract or for the military in mind, just because it was.
2: Cause well, of... and it was kind of, and they had kind of a military look to the first ones we made. Um, the first ones we made were probably a little bit small, and then when Kershaw made their version, it seemed a little bit big, and so later on, we kind of zeroed in somewhere in between, uh, and so it seems to be it's still kind of a big knife, uh, but it does accomplish the goal, which was to uh, make a folding knife that couldn't be fouled by dirt and debris. And it, and it, it performed well in that capacity. Yeah, but I, I got to say, the
3: most military life you guys have made, though, it has to be The Rock. Yeah. Rock. Oh, I
2: forgot about that one.
3: Yeah. B- black and Oded Green with the military, <laughs> uh, with the, the, fl- the American flag kind of mill <laughs> out in the blade. I forgot all about that. Yeah, So and so
0: we came up with The Rock, and then that was the, the first you know, strap lock, pick lock that we did.
3: Oh, so um, that pre- that pre- that pre- that's the predecessor of the Marksman.
0: Correct, yeah. And, uh, God, I remember machining those stars.
3: <laughs> God, they took so long. Oh, it was machined? <laughs> yeah. I would have just, just wanted to do it. That's because that's, like, that's less than the 16th. I don't know why. You could have oh,
4: EDM'd
0: yeah. them. I could have. I, I should have. Uh, yeah. But at the time, you know, EDM was expensive, and I had a machining center, and so... I actually had to go in with, I think like a thirty-one thousandths end mill, but I could only machine halfway. So because the flute length on the that little end mill, so Mm -hmm. so I had to machine them halfway, flip them, and then machine all the way through. And uh, it took a long time with (laughs) that little end mills.
4: Hmm.
0: But it looked cool.
1: Yeah, it's got a looks awesome.
5: Screams America. Yeah, a bit. Yeah, that's.
1: So, so I, I,
3: I'm like. I remember they had a knife that just screamed in America. I'm like, Google, Google, and Google. I'm like, Oh, The Rock. Okay.
5: <laughs> <laughs> and also, a hidden flipper. Oh yeah.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, that just dis- disappears.
4: Yeah. So the, we, oh yeah, so
0: I, 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 I we just really like that idea of of having a a flipper that's rotated far enough forward that once it's open, uh, it kind of blends in with the profile of the knife, which is. Something that a lot of our mechanisms allow, but uh frame locks and and liner locks and stuff don't really allow that because the flipper would be right where the lock is, and so we've we've always kind of exploited that in our mechanisms
4: mm-hmm.
5: Interesting. can you can you talk about the orbit for a little bit like who designed, did you guys design that and then collaborate on it with surge in like a way or was like a uh, complete so, design uh, collab or?
0: It was more of a, a collab in the sense that he did the design and then uh-huh. we did the mechanism. Gotcha. Uh, and and we, we massaged the design a little bit. Um,
5: to make the mech fit.
0: Yeah. yeah, and so he sent over kind of the initial sketches of kind of that cleaver and, and handle style. And then uh, uh-huh. as I integrated the mechanism into it, I kind of slimmed it up and, and changed things around a little bit.
5: Yeah, I love that thing. It's like the best fidget flipper. It's so easy to uh, disengage.
0: Yeah, I, I mm. really like it. And and that uh, I ended up designing a new detent system for that. that mm-hmm. uh, it's unusual, seemed, for sure. Yeah. yeah, everybody seemed to love it, and it has a very interesting uh, feel to it.
5: That's like the blade stops and then you press it in further.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it kind of clicks in, and you can, of course, close it all one sweeping oh, yeah. motion. But, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, it's and it has a really interesting release to it. Uh-huh. Um, the the trick behind that is uh, other detents have uh, have a um, uh, the, the way they work is you you put your finger on the flipper and you start to build up kinetic energy by putting pressure on it and then all of a sudden you get so much pressure it breaks the ball the detent and it flies out the toggle detent uh instead has travel to it so the blade actually starts to travel and as it's moving it's building up pressure and then it releases at at a certain moment so
3: so i'm guessing it's it's an Hmm. arc going around the high point and once it goes around the high point it shoots it open
0: Uh, No, it's more like a like a light switch. So um, As you're you know, you're flipping the switch on a light um, It's it gets harder and harder harder and then right at top dead center now it clicks over Um, And so that's what the detent does inside is it it clicks over and so when you then when you close the knife it hits it, and then it re-clicks it back into position. So the oh, so. there's a mechanism that's literally toggling from. Yeah, an so open that's pistol. how
3: I was pretty much picturing mm-hmm. it. Up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So another thing, I, I actually wanted to talk to you about this at Blade Show, or well, two things, Blade Show. Uh, one is, what the hell happened with your mill when the tool changer fell? Okay. <laughs> because that scares the hell out of me.
0: Um. So it's it's a weird thing that doesn't happen very often but um on older hauses um there's a logic failure when the shuttle arm motor fails and the limit switch uh that um uh, that uh Uh, essentially uh, gives feedback that the the shuttle is either in or out, fails. And when both of them fail at the same time, the machine doesn't know that the shuttle has not retracted out of the way. Um, So it sends a signal to the motor, Mm -hmm. and the motor says, okay, well, I moved it, and the limit switch isn't working, and it says, well, there's there's not a shuttle here anymore. And the spindle went down. uh, just comes down and it just rips the shuttle off of the...
3: Oh, okay. I've had something almost happen like that, but not really. It just kind of jammed up and I had to do a recovery sequence. Right. Okay. And
0: that's what it's supposed to do. So that's if uh, if everything's functioning properly as far as the feedback system, uh, it'll say whoops, nope, there's an error. The shuttle hasn't moved in the allotted time, uh, so we're not going to continue. But um, But if the if both of those, the sensor and the motor, fail at the same time, it uh, it doesn't know what's happening. There is a, something that can happen that's more common, which is the um, the rollers that the shuttle roll back and forth on. Um, they have an eccentric on them that mm-hmm. tighten them to the rail, and those eccentrics can come loose
3: and they don't uh, lock and they'll slide back. Yeah, well, that's what, no, yeah, that's what happened. Oh, because I had it, my, mine slid back
0: yeah and so you can so it'll slide back and forth, but what happens is it won't be on the rails tight enough, and so it'll jump the tracks and then the shuttle will fall off
3: my oh, okay. Mine still stayed on the machine <laughs> okay yeah, <laughs> but, and, yeah and that's generally what will
0: happen but if it gets loose enough then then yeah it can just jump off the track and and then you've got a problem so if you start hearing a really loud sound on your Shuttle as it moves back and forth uh it's because those eccentrics have gotten loose, and then you should tighten them up,
3: yeah, cuz when I got my machine, the actual umbrella hood on the tool changer was bent, and whenever you load it you could load a tool in whenever it went to the next tool, it'll hit the the pull stud and just throw the tool out of the tool holder, and I had to use a car jack to bend it back up oh I don't right. know what ha- yeah, I don't know what they did in the moving. Uh, I thought I bought the wrong, I thought I bought the wrong pull studs or what? And then I kept looking at photos and I realized it was bent. Mm Um, yeah, that wasn't fun. So thankfully I didn't, I didn't jack up the rails. Now question two would be the story behind Tylock.
0: Um, more specific or just a general
3: outline of the. Oh, like how did you guys come to working with Chris Reeves? yeah he's usually a guy and they come with kind of like they do the same thing and work within themselves and uh
0: well, and so uh, Chris, we've had a long relationship with Chris, or with uh Chris um and we've always wanted to do a design together uh but it just wasn't quite the right project um and so uh, oddly enough the the tie lock mechanism was designed for the select fire multi tool um and and so the, the reason behind the mechanism was to get it out of the handle and put it on the blade so we had more real estate in the handle for tools and bits and, and things like that. Um, later, Kershaw decided that, uh, one, it was too far out of the mainstream and uh, people wouldn't be able to operate it or wouldn't buy it um, in a big box store, which is probably correct um
2: they also said that their company that they would have make it didn't think they could make it work yeah
0: they mm-hmm. didn't think it was possible to make that mechanism work i think wow. just
2: just that fact inspired chris reeve and he said well they can't make it work but i can't <laughs> yeah and <laughs> he actually did most of the development our prototypes were admittedly sort of crude and chris reeve seen that as a kind of a challenge and he had been looking for an opportunity, uh, to instigate a collaboration and that seemed to have sparked his interest. And so, uh, so anyway, we pretty much, I think we did the design here mostly, but he did the development, which was a little tricky, uh, Mm -hmm. but he figured it out and made it work and it worked well.
3: I'd assume like tolerances and stuff like that to make
2: to make the system work. That's true. Yeah,
3: it was a hard knife
0: to make, and and I think that Mm -hmm. was ultimately one of the reasons they they quit making it. Uh, it Was just it was so difficult to make.
2: Mm -hmm. It looks simple, but it's hard to make work right.
1: Yeah, I was going to say it doesn't look entirely uh, complicated,
2: but yeah, it's just hard to pull off. You got to get that press fit just right so it doesn't
3: fall out in time. Also, yeah. if the heat treat, like I imagine, if the heat treat's wrong, putting constant tension on that area of the blade, it could snap. Hmm.
5: Also, that spring tension, like, would have to be dialed in perfectly to yep. lock up every time. Yeah,
2: yeah. everything's got to be right for that to work. Yeah. It, All those not- ratios
5: have to fall into place.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was it was a complicated design, uh, a little hmm. over the top.
3: Yes. Yeah, so what got me to remember I mentioned that I could be crazy, but I feel like I remember a really old. An interview you guys did about it five plus years ago uh and you guys talking about how you guys were bringing bringing him designs all the time and he kept rejecting them or you guys were trying to get him to pick up a design
5: i think i know uh, where I, you're going with this thing
3: I, I don't <laughs> know if, okay okay good, good i'm like i wasn't i'm like good thing i'm like not
5: making this
2: up i think i uh, saw am the I, same am I?
5: video i think i saw the same video
2: no uh, I don't even remember that. Uh, well, I think what you might be talking about is the first knives that I started bringing Chris Reeve, and we weren't to the stage where we could discuss a collaboration.
4: Mm-hmm. But
2: after after the the trip to Eugene and deciding I wanted uh, to get into knife making, when I got back, I looked at Chris Reeve. He was the only knife maker in the local phone book in Boise. So I went and introduced myself and uh, said, I want to be a knife maker. And Chris says, yeah, well, join the club. Everybody wants to be a knife maker. And so he said, have you ever made a knife? Well, no, not yet. And he said, well, go make a knife and bring it to me and show it to me. So I went home and made a knife uh, and I don't know. just. Really quickly, and uh, it was. Uh, I forgot even what I made it of now, but it was like
0: it was a file.
2: I think it was a file, and it had a stacked handle on it, a hidden mm-hmm. tang type thing. Yep. Uh, yeah. But when I took it back to Chris, he looked at it and he said, That's the worst knife I've ever seen. <laughs> well, <laughs> he said, This knife is terrible. <laughs> so he recommended a book which i forgotten but i i had no idea even the basics of knife making and so then uh anyway i read up on it and then started experimenting and uh he gave me a grinding lesson one day which lasted about a minute and a half i think he said well here's how you grind a knife and so he whipped one out (laughs) and there that's how you do it well okay and I don't think I even had a grinder yet. So somehow or the other, I think well, I was bought a grinder at an auction somewhere. And anyway, little by little, uh, we stayed uh, in touch. And every time I made another knife, I'd bring it to him. And then one day uh, after I made that wacky design that uh, the, we call it the cat lock or the mechanical marble it was twice scale and so it's a great big thing and I made it almost all by hand it had a very complicated mechanism that actuated a toggle. Um, he recognized it as resembling a mechanism of a uh, some German machine gun or something. I forgot just what that was but when I showed him that design he just almost literally fell out of his chair. He could not believe <laughs> that we would make something like that mm-hmm. that would actually work.
0: First folder.
2: That was our first folder. Oh, was, okay. uh, and so anyway, that blew him away, and he started taking this more serious. <laughs> and, uh, and so from there on out, uh, we took him every new design that we made and he became more impressed as we went along and then started talking about eventually a collaboration if we would just make something easier to make.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and
2: so, anyway, we finally got there. Mm. And it wasn't easy to make.
1: Yeah.
0: It, it looked simple, but then, yeah, it wasn't actually easy to manufacture. Yeah.
1: So this this mechanical marvel that that you, that comes up a few times, so what, I mean... Where where do we see that like it's just like hiding in in the shop somewhere like you guys are just never gonna it make is, it or
4: uh,
1: we've
2: never really it's never been us? published or shown well, uh,
0: and so uh, so yeah so we've had the the twice scale prototype for years um, and we used to have it behind the table and if if you were lucky, we'd bring you behind the table and we'd hunker down and we'd <laughs> show you this contraption. Uh, and we did that for years, and that's how we became f- friends with a lot of knife makers. Uh,
2: Ken, I need yeah. blown away when you see yeah, that. Yeah, when course. we
0: showed that to Ken, that was before he was famous, uh, that uh, instantly made us friends with him. Um, uh, and so it sh- sat on the shelf for a long time, and then we we actually made a prototype um and took it to blade 8 years ago maybe
2: yeah probably
0: but it wasn't finished and it it it, it worked okay but it had just a couple of issues to it and we were going to come back and uh and refine those and start making it uh i don't remember what was going on at that show but it was kind of a lackluster show for us um we we didn't get a lot of attention from it Um, and then right after that, we switched into the deadlock development, uh, and never really got back to it, but there's a, one of the YouTube videos, um, oh, it's the one that, um, Blade HQ did on us, in that we have, uh, you know, we're going through knives in the office, we show the, the, I don't know, version two prototype, um, of that we don't take it apart we don't we just open and close it um, it has a, a dagger grind and a sliding button hmm and so oh. if you...
2: here sliding button is a lot like the OTF in a way it's it's not centered and the design is different I mean the look of it but you push the button forward and it mechanically propels the blade to open and then you pull back on the same button, and it mechanically propels the blade to close. Oh,
0: wow. And so, if you pull the button halfway, the blade will be halfway, uh, and then you can switch directions and close it again. Um, it's it's pretty neat. It was again really complicated to make, and uh, you know we made the 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 second prototype, but we needed to go back and and change a lot of things, and we just. Yeah, just never got back to it.
3: The one the original prototype, uh is that the one with one side has an aluminum slab scale? That's right, yeah. Okay, cool. I remember seeing this this is the, also the video I was referring to. It's the Blade HQ uh, mad scientist knife maker and the meet your oh. maker. I gotta look at it. I gotta what watch it did again. They
2: show that? Sounds I don't intriguing for sure.
5: I don't remember. Yeah, that, well, maybe
2: so. I, I didn't you, I didn't think it had ever been.
3: What'd you call it? Uh the Mad Scientist Knife Maker? Grant and Gavin Hawk, <laughs> yeah. Shotor.
2: <laughs> I didn't even know about that. Uh, I guess that applies, yeah.
3: <laughs> um I'm just gonna look at it real quick. And they show you on the TP? Oh
4: yeah.
0: Well but that was um I mean uh let's see. And and is that the one that was really a long video or it's uh eighteen like almost a nineteen yeah. video yeah
4: yeah
3: maybe we did take it apart in that video uh oh I guess that it, it was kind of like hat like slab scale when you see the mech okay there was right. like no top was, scale the whole handle
2: the whole handle on the top side uh, I'd made it out of ebony but uh, with one little key you could turn the whole handle would come off and you could shake out the mechanism. Uh, it, the pieces, and then put them back in to show how it works. And so it had a uh, it had a mechanism that uh, that directed the toggle through the path that would open and lock the blade. But it had to do it. It's really complicated. It had it had a sliding plate that had two cam tracks in it that drove two independent pins that were attached to the toggle, uh, and they had to function at a 90-degree angle. At some point in the travel, it changed from one cam track to the other cam track uh, so as to pass over top dead center. It's complicated enough to look at. It's hard to explain. Yeah, at first
3: glance on video, it looks like a, a complicating lockback, but it's not. If you if you Google "Mad Scientist Knife Maker Grant and Gavin Hawk Shop Tour Blade excuse Video," it starts at like eleven minutes, is where they, they start to, they bring it out. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. if anyone wants to look it up and we'll yeah. see what it looks like.
2: Yeah. Well, and maybe I was wrong. Maybe that cat was out of the bag. <laughs> yeah, I
3: haven't I haven't watched
0: that video in so long. I don't really remember remember it. Um, yeah. God, that was in twenty thirteen.
5: Yeah, the mech looks like it's made. I remember. last say that came out. Yeah, watching that it was pretty amazing.
0: So someday, I don't know. Right now, it's it's hard to even think about anything else except deadlocks. Um, the demand f- for that is, you know, a hundred times the demand of any other design we've ever yeah. had. Um, and uh, and of course, we've hired employees and bought new machines and. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to make as uh, many as we possibly can, um, to satisfy a small percentage of the demand. Um, and every time I think about, well, God, it'd be like the, uh, orbit for instance, boy, it'd be great to make a few orbits. And I think, well, I could also make a few more deadlocks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just,
3: it's, uh, it's tough to be. What you need is a tinkering machine. You know not a small mill you could tinker with,
0: well, and i I kinda do, but the time is the
2: critical part, yeah, I mean, I right. can
0: go prototype and and get a you know a toy to play with, but then uh, how do I produce it without taking time away from the deadlock um, and then I think, well, okay, I'll just I'll buy another separate machine and I'll hire one individual person they'll run that machine <laughs> and they'll make orbits or whatever it is. And then I come full circle again and say, Well, I could also just have that person make more deadlocks. <laughs> right. So, so it's, I uh, we're kind of in a tough spot. And I don't know uh, how we're going to, well, tough spot's the wrong word, but um, we're, uh, it's hard I mean, to it's, solve that problem.
1: It's a good spot to be in, to be fair. I mean, if, yeah, if you're, right. you know, pe- people do forget that that, you know, knife makers pay bills with knives. So, I mean, if you're, if you're, Selling knives—that's good. That means you're in good business.
3: Yeah, i can can't—I can't blame you there at all. It's, you look at it's like, oh, I like to try to do something else, but like, I've developed the process. The process is down. The the employees know how to run it, and you got to make payroll. When you, when you start having employees, you don't just think about yourself now. You got to think about these people. Right. Employees,
5: yeah, yep. aka employees. your dad.
3: Yeah. yeah <laughs> okay. So, yeah, my dad's a full time for about three, four months. So it's it's the nice. other way of your situation, but. It's same thing. I was like, i really want to finish, stop making this design. And I'm like, oh, I got all the fixtures made, the processes down. I guess right, I'll make exactly. one more batch. So as I teach them how to make them, because I, I know I know this, like I know I can make them and sell them, opposed to putting in R and D time into something else. Yeah, mm. and
0: you come up with a new design, and and you know people may or may not like it. And if they do like it, is the demand as strong as the design you're already making? Right. Um, and for us, if we put our attention towards a new mechanism or a new design it takes away from the the current design so um i don't know hopefully someday we'll get to a point where we can go back and start uh coming up with new designs and uh i don't know i've come up with several mechanisms since the deadlock but i can't even prototype them um but uh, maybe someday
5: I did just find the uh, section of the video where you where you show that off the uh, insanity. Yeah. And it's yeah it's it's like uh, that's the first time I've seen it, and since I've seen the video like way back, and uh, I totally forgot all about that. But yeah, that thing is pretty insane. You show uh, it was like a clip of you actuating it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. It's very it? reminiscent, like the profile of the handle is very reminiscent of the deadlock, kind of.
0: Oh yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, yep.
0: I'll have, to, I'll have to go back I mean, and watch that. Pretty
2: cool though. Yeah. Well, so that was the second version. Man. That's the
3: second version he's talking
0: the about. Second version. Right. Yeah. So no, you
2: know the still, first version at, think...
3: at at uh, eleven minutes. Oh, is it okay? Yeah, that's yeah. that. that it, it has like a half inch aluminum scale.
0: Yeah.
5: It's yeah. kind of like exposed. It reminds me of like a watch uh, movement. So I mean... speaking of
1: movements, a little bit, um, the deadlock. You've always, so you posted a video right away and you said, look, this is what the mechanism looks like. You've made versions of your knives that have uh, cutouts so people can see the mechanisms. You've made versions that are clear so people can see the mechanisms. It seems like you guys maybe can touch on some of the ethos behind being very open with how the knives work and how they're put together. Do you find that people just want to see it? Do you find you want to display the work you've done? How does that work? Because I, I I've talked to Gavin a little bit about that,
2: but well, it's part of the fascination watching the mechanism go through its paces. Uh, so uh, that's been uh, kind of the motivation behind all those see-through designs. Hmm. So, uh, and the, it... the
1: deadlock ships with a um, with a Torx driver, so you're you're I mean you are encouraging people to take it apart.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Gavin did a kind of a little takedown video showing how it comes apart and goes back together We've never made a transparent one or you know with a clear view handle or anything Uh, I guess we've talked about it, but we never quite got around to doing that
0: Yeah, and and one of the reasons that I encourage people to take it apart is because others discourage people to take them apart Um, and (coughs) Uh, and then the other part of that is if you get something in there, you're going to have to take it apart to clean it. It's Mm. not like you can just blow it out and depending on what's in there. Um, and so, uh, we specifically designed it so that people could easily take it apart. Um, so might as well encourage them to, yeah, take it apart and clean it. Uh, if, if somebody doesn't want to, obviously they just send it in and I can, uh, I can do that for him,
1: right? I mean, I I think it's great that you guys uh, encourage people to do it. I mean, people should be friendly with their with their gear, and certainly when it comes to a knife, no matter what kind of knife, you know, you should know how to service it. Uh, yeah, be it an automatic or otherwise, and certainly OTFs, right, are going to need servicing at some point. They all they all do. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yep. So back to the uh, mechanical marvel. So Nick, the uh, the knife at eleven minutes or whatever. That's actually the very first prototype of the dog lock. Oh uh, okay. Wow. Huh? Yeah. And then at twelve thirty seven
5: Yeah, it's a little later in the video. Yeah. yeah and I saw the, that
0: one too, it just looked more complete. That's all I was like.
5: Huh. Yeah.
0: And so that was the the proto the version two prototype that we had built. Um and the idea was we were gonna make, you know, some type of uh crystal lens there or um, something so you could see the mechanism working and
5: a magnification lens would be cool. Yeah, yeah that'd be
0: so. neat. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, we just got distracted and, and never got back to it. But, um, but yeah, that's the, the cat lock, which stood for cam actuated toggle.
5: Yeah, there's like 400 cams in there, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <Wow>. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Yeah, I'm That's pretty sure a lot of those like
3: are also kind of. Are, is all that needed, or it looks like it could be slimmed down a lot? Uh, no, no, those
0: are all needed for sure. Because you're, uh, well, it's it's tricky to explain without having it. I'm looking hand. at it just through a window.
2: Well, there's a there's a sliding plate, and that sliding plate has two cam tracks on it, which are grooves cut to a specific shape that engage two different pins on the toggle the long toggle uh, which is just a link and so as you push that forward it's it controls that toggle uh, in all the directions it needs to go in order to open the blade and lock it hmm. so yeah there's there's no extra parts in there they're all absolutely necessary to the working wow. Alright, at this point I think we're definitely
1: gonna have to get uh an updated video of that. Maybe you guys can can post that and uh
0: Well so... that would be amazing
1: <laughs> if I wasn't uh, making deadlocks.
0: Well no, uh so four or five years ago I had a bag of prototypes that uh
1: Oh no, right that
0: I lost and oh. that knife is in that bag. So oh. if anybody ever sees that knife <laughs> that uh, it's hard it's, it's hard it <laughs> you want it right. back
1: right <laughs> where where was that was uh was that in vegas
0: yeah yeah that was at usn Oof. Yep. i uh i had it at my feet at a table and we walked away and i came back and it was gone
4: yeah
0: uh-huh. and so there was a whole bunch of there was a lot of cool old prototypes in there uh anybody that had uh known us in the past we always had that bag on us and so Mm. uh time after a show, people would come up and I could go through the bag, all the different prototypes we had made, and uh, yeah. So was, I, sus- uh, I
1: suspect it landed in the hands of a of a non-community or, or industry person at this point, if if it's... I uh, believe
0: so, yeah.
1: Someone probably picked it up and was just like, what the heck is this?
0: And, you know, it was a shame. They probably took it to a pawn shop and they yeah. laughed at him, because... <laughs> A lot of the, you know, unanodized aluminum. Oh, right, it's wrong. mild steel on a lot of the prototypes. So mm. the blades were probably, you know, rusting, um, unsharpened. They were just quick, crude prototypes. Oof. So huh.
5: well, that a bummer. That is a
0: yeah, that was sad. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a lot like what happened
5: to Ken uh, a few years ago with his his uh yeah uh whole pelican case full of prototypes and. Knives for, I think it was a California show, right?
0: Yeah. yeah, something like that.
5: Every every one of them got lost. Stolen. Yeah, absolutely stolen. Stolen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not lost.
0: Yeah, yeah. At least his, I I think they they know where those are at. Um, as far as I, my understanding. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, but these ones probably just got thrown in a dumpster or something because they didn't. There's no monetary value to them after they add them.
5: Hmm. Oh,
3: yeah. Let's yeah, leave that's... this painful subject. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, so there are some cool knives that we missed, or uh, some uh, ideas you want to talk about?
0: Did we? What did we miss? I think we hit all the designs actually, uh, except for like you know the very first uh fixed blades that we were making the like the pony knife and the gal leg um even those were kind of innovative in their own own way uh the the pony knife uh had a pretty unique styling to it but the um the interesting thing was that we were using horse hoof for the the handles Hmm. um and that kind of gave a really interesting look to it 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 kind of looks like sheep's horn, but it's more unique and has a little bit uh, more defined grain and more unique colors. Um, Horse huff. Yeah, so that was kind of cool. It, nobody's ever copied us on that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say, I don't, I don't think so, I've heard of think that I, one before. I don't uh, think anyone well, knows where to get it. <laughs>
2: well, and so well, you kinda we, need got it, we got it from a rendering plant that takes dead animals and it's out south of Boise and so they ran a midnight shift there and an all Mexican crew and so people would take dead horses and dead cows and sheep and everything else and they would cut them all up and skin them and I guess they made dog food out of them and one thing or another so I went out and talked to the company uh, and The guy said, well, come back at night and talk to the night boss and he could save them for you and just Hmm. pay him. Don't bother paying us. And that can just be a perk for him. So we went and I can't take his name now. Can you, uh, -uh. Uh, anyway, I I went to the lead guy and so he agreed to save the horses. So we got them cut off at the knee or cut off at the ankle. And so then and this
0: place was horrible to go to. <laughs> like I can
2: this only imagine like your description get, already it sounds you're, pretty crazy.
0: You're about a half mile away and you can start to smell the stench of dead animals and it just it's like this thick air and you get to the place everything's sticky. The floors, the concrete's <laughs> sticky, the handrails are sticky. It just Stinks! Oh my god, it was so horrible. I'm, I'm not was... even thinking
3: about the knives now. It's just the story behind it. It's like you guys pretty much had to go through that to get these, to get the material, and then you had to perform some sort of taxidermy to get it apart and process it. Right, and so what, the,
2: the way we did it is we bring them home and soak the hoof and the whole foot in vinegar for about a week. Oh man. And so the vinegar <laughs> adds a <laughs> little a bit to, <laughs> to the smell. Mm. But what it does is it loosens up the hoof around what they call the coffin bone, which is the bone inside the hoof. Mm. And so then I invented a machine here. It's like
0: a medieval machine. Uh, yeah. Uh,
2: and so what it was on a a, a stump like a wood round and so you could insert the hoof into it and it had clamps that would hold onto the hoof and then it had another leg that uh or arm that would bite the uh the shin bone and then you had a crank and you turned the crank and it would pull the coffin bone and the whole leg and everything out of the hoof shell hmm. and it made a great big <laughs> sucking sound <laughs> when it came out uh. and then we wow.
0: i'm like reliving childhood <laughs> memories right now yeah gavin
2: was doing this when he was a kitty. I had to, that was his one of his chores after school yeah that's what i would do with the, the leg
0: yeah wow. get on my big rubber gloves and so the vinegar Ugh.
2: i had a an attorney friend come to visit once and he was we were talking. He was watching Gavin pull these legs out of the hoof. <laughs> he, he, he said, that's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. Wow. So now, I, don't, I don't the know hoof. how
3: many knives was that.
2: Well, one. And oh so uh, so we'd, we would use one hoof and cut both halves out of it. So what we'd do then is uh, a lot of them had horseshoes on them, so we had to pull the shoes off. And then we'd saw them half and two. And then saw the floor out uh, in, the, in the bottom of the hoof, the frog part. Uh, we saw that out, and then after because it had been soaking in vinegar, it was soft and pliable.
0: Well, though no, we'd re-soak it at that point,
2: and yeah. yeah, and so we would have to re-soak it, I guess. So we get it; it would get really soft soaking in vinegar. I'd read that trick about uh, how people used to make powder horns. Uh, And when they, they would treat the steer horn that way so that it would be, so a round plug would fit it because the horn is never quite round. So I borrowed that idea, soaked them in vinegar, and then we flattened them in a hydraulic press and squeezed them between uh, some aluminum grates that I'd bought at the salvage yard, sawed them up and made little clamp systems that were about, uh, I don't know, a foot long and six inches wide. So we'd clamp them in there with a, in a hydraulic press and then put C-clamps on them to hold them and stack them up until they dried. Then when they were dried, we'd bandsaw out the rough shape and we uh, would send them off to Arizona and they did a... Uh, K and G. Yeah, it was K and G, wasn't it? Yep. So we sent it to them, and they would do a stabilizing process where they would inject a polymer into uh, into the hoof, which would stabilize it. And so that it wouldn't take on moisture and it wouldn't warp and shrink and everything. So w- went to a lot of trouble just getting the handle material just to be that unique.
0: Well, and then, well, so it's so a the, lot of work. The yeah, hoof. it's pretty intense. The hoof uh, doesn't glue God. to steel, oh, so there's, there's
3: more. <laughs>
0: so we'd have we'd have to glue with hide glue. We'd glue the horse hoof to ironwood uh, liners, yeah. and then the ironwood we could then glue to the steel with and the then epoxy. With epoxy, and then we'd pin it and do all that stuff. So if you ever find a pony knife, I, you'll notice I, there's there's a ironwood liner there um, holding it all together.
3: Yeah, I actually found one. It's uh, with the brass pins that the brass bolsters from Blaze Show 2009. So <laughs> you, do you have one? No, I don't have one. I said I oh. found a picture of it. I'll try oh, to see okay. what the horse hoof oh. looks like. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, there's a very thin about, what, 50,000, 50, something, something yeah. like that, of ironwood that's sandwiched between the horse hoof and the steel. In hmm. other so a lot of R d d went into that crazy thing.
4: Yeah, oh, I put a, yeah
3: I put a picture of uh, the, yeah that's, that's that outrageous. knife of in the group yeah, I I mean, in, the, in the skype hmm.
0: oh yeah okay yeah and so you can see it has kind of interesting you know color stripes and patterns and
3: mm-hmm. um, yeah oh it looks good I didn't think it'll look as good as it does, but I would never put in that much work. <laughs> I can see. I can see
5: now why no one's copied you. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah.
1: Wanted to get through the turmoil. It's like seven extra steps there. Yeah. Yes. Well,
0: and then another cool thing about that, if you zoom in on it, you'll see on the blade there's kind of like a jeweling. Uh. So that's like instead of uh, engine turning. Yeah, it's like uh, straight lines. Yeah, straight lines. So we uh, we built a contraption. Um, that had X and Y travel and you'd clamp the blade on it and have a guillotine, of sandpaper. And then you, there was a cam and a crank. So you'd crank it and the table would zigzag back and forth and they would put those, um, that, uh, zigzag pattern into the, into the blade, mm-hmm. um, which oh. gave a cool look cause it, it was a lot like engine turning, but again, it was all linear.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, and then oh. the sheath, um, the sheath had a lot of fucking work to it, Jesus. So, uh, so that uh, the braiding there. Um, this picture doesn't have a a good side view of it, but, um, anyways, that's all rawhide lacing, and I think it took. Would it take you an hour and a half or something to lace Yeah, there's a, a lot sheet?
2: going on there to do the bra- do the braiding.
0: If you ever see one in person, it's a really complicated braid. It's a
3: full. Thing. It's pretty much a full basket weave like weave because like my dad does my sheath work, mm-hmm. and he was a tailor, so he does something similar, but it's not that many layers to the braid. But yeah, even what he does is it's not it's it's less complex than this, and it also takes him about like forty five minutes to an hour. He's like, I hate these sheets.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's all done with one string and so you start at the oh. top and then uh and then the weave down it's an old cowboy thing when i was a kid i made a lot of horse gear out of rawhide and mm-hmm. i liked rawhide uh, braiding and uh, and lacing and so on and so i kind of borrowed from that to design the sheath but i yeah. just
0: remember the fixture to you know drill all the holes because all the holes have to be perfectly spaced and then we had like diagrams and like half there was like three or four sheaths that had like the first step second step and third step so you could see how the braid was working
2: um because i taught some other people to teach people and and it was really it's kind of hard to teach but anyway so i had one sheath that had the first step and then the second step third step and so on until you kind of could get the picture of what you do next until you get to the other end
3: Mm-hmm. Now I'm I'm still kind of like shocked that what you guys went through to get the hoofs because 2009 <laughs> is the year I got into this community, so I know what the market value for things were. So to estimate it, what did this knife cost in I mean, 2009?
2: Yeah, I think I started selling for about 450.
0: No, I think it was 350, but oh, that maybe, was wow. we were selling those in 1994, 1995.
3: Yeah. The the photo I'm looking at here says Blade Show. I don't know if that knife was from Blade Show 2009 or. All right. Uh, there's a photo that says 2009 Blade Show. Yeah. No.
0: We uh we quit making that probably in '98 or something. Okay. So I was about to say in 2005 for 300. I
3: mean 2009 for 350 dollars. You wouldn't. I wouldn't even just get extract the hooves.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We uh we didn't get rich on that knife. (laughs) That's for sure. Hmm.
2: Well, that's what made us start thinking about alternatives.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
5: Do away like, with natural materials. Yeah. Like, like G10.
1: <laughs> right. right. Yeah.
0: And I made some uh, dog walks that, because uh, I still have horse hoof. I mean, we processed a lot of it. <coughs> you get flashbacks um, every time you see it. It's like, oh. Yeah. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> the smell, the smell is what well. was so bad. And I remember one time we, so we used to have a fridge, an old fridge that, it wasn't plugged in, but we'd put the vinegar in there and a little light bulb to keep the vinegar from freezing, and uh, we would cycle the uh, you know the ones on the bottom up to the top, and we just keep going through it. And one bucket got stuck in the rotation or out of the rotation, and uh, one day we were in the shop, and God, there was this god awful smell. We could not figure it out. And uh finally we realized that this bucket had been in there probably six or seven months. Oh wow. <laughs> and oh, and wow. it had just disintegrated everything. And so it was just bone and hoof and goop. And it was so <laughs> terrible. Like was so almost glue
5: at that point, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, it was it was Both just like glue. this
3: goop with hair in it.
5: Oh, <laughs> oh
0: man.
4: <laughs>
3: that's uh
0: it was horrible.
3: Yeah. So hear that, kids? If you don't have hydrochloric (laughs) acid, but you have seven months, vinegar will do. It'll do. It'll it'll work. (laughs)
0: That's what happened, actually. (laughs) So even though the pony knife doesn't look that complicated, it doesn't look very innovative, uh, there was a lot of innovation going in on that knife. Um, Even the way we made the bolster. um, So the bolster has a slit all the way except, or it's like, I don't know, uh, three quarters of the way it's slit so it slides over the knife but where the the tip of it is um it's all solid um but just the amount of fixturing to make all that that was all pre-cnc uh and so we just made yeah really complicated fixtures that we still have um, uh, up in the attic somewhere all the fixtures that we use to make the pony knife
3: wow
4: so, you should do a, uh, another
3: batch next year?
5: Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. What <laughs> yeah. You should do a two. deadlock. Yeah, with one of those scales on it. There you go.
0: Yeah, that'd be cool. I could do an inlay with it or something.
5: Hmm. Wait, now, this is super limited.
3: Does it just look like that naturally, or did you have to stabilize it? It, it looks like that naturally.
4: Oh, Yeah, the, yeah the, the
2: stabilizing is just fun. to keep it from taking on moisture and warping.
0: Yeah, the stabilizing, we didn't add a dye to the stabilizing. We just, uh, it was a clear, uh, epo-
3: um, some type of epoxy or oh, something. That's or? Like, yeah, that's what I meant. You well, guys, it's not, it, it's it not like raw. You guys actually stabilized it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: otherwise, it, um, we made a few that weren't stabilized, and they shrink and grow a little bit over time.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, those natural materials on on old knives—you can see it's all kind of like warped, and and they turn up on
2: themselves and stuff. Yeah, and that's what was happening, so we had to stabilize it.
1: That's cool. I didn't know you could just like stabilize um like random goods like
2: that. Well, um, well it's porous enough when it's dry. After and you got it, and drying is a big thing too. We had to dry them for months, literally, uh, in the in the clamped up in the racks that I was talking about earlier. Uh, and so it had to be completely dry, but once it's dry, it's also somewhat porous. And so the stabilizing process is um, is embedding it in a liquid polymer and using both pressure and then vacuum is the process they used at K and G. and that sucks the material um, the polymer all the way through all of the pores and all the little cavities in the horse hoof and mm-hmm. then when that sets up well then all that space is filled and that stabilizes the whole thing gotcha okay yeah so zero right. air pockets in
1: there it's all filled exactly. with proxy yeah
3: mm-hmm. well yeah stabilize is fun i used to do wood stabilizing when I catch your knives just su- suck it up come back and you have a block that weighs five times more than it did before yeah <laughs> nice.
2: yeah yeah it does weigh more right yeah it's heavier and uh, but the horse stuff out. made an interesting handle because the, uh, and we tried to choose, and we t- told the guys at the rendering plant what we were looking for. But we liked hooves that had uh, streaks in them, color. Uh, some hooves were mostly white, and some were mostly black. But we liked the kind that would have stripes in them, so you could get some coloration, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. some
1: interesting looking ones like that.
2: Uh, yeah, well, and it distinguishes it from sheep horn, which is the thing it looks the most like. Oh, okay. it, it, it's kind of like sheep horn in an awful lot of ways, uh, except for that differential coloring.
4: Hmm.
1: Yeah, it's really it's not surprising that someone hasn't, uh, <laughs>
4: hasn't, hasn't copied yeah, it
1: I don't know why they haven't picked point. up on that. Yeah, uh, well, maybe now they've listened to
0: this, they might, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Go
4: uh, <laughs> um,
1: oh, oh, <laughs> oh, god. <laughs> if only you could come across some horfus, you know that's the yeah. general set. Like, like honestly, like, I,
3: I think about Matt and he makes carbon fiber. I'm like, yeah. I grind one carbon fiber scale. I'm like, ah, it's a shitty job is to work and cut carbon fiber all day. Yeah, uh, feel like, like, now. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I found the material is probably worse to actually make. <laughs> yeah,
1: not yeah. that bad in comparison. All right. <laughs>
2: That's we were at a Haas show the other day, kicking the tires on machines, and and <laughs> one of the girls there had uh, was familiar with a pony knife and was teasing it about it, and uh, and I said something like, "Well, yeah, that's people ask us why all the horses in our neighborhood are up on blocks." That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <Right. laughs>
1: There's something missing. I just can't put my finger on yeah. <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> Come to yeah. think of it, there aren't any cinder blocks available either. So you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I
3: miss the hot show because the hot show by me is always during Blade Show. Uh, well, so I, I, I've been I've miss, I've been missing it for the last like five years ever since I got my house. I'm trying to go because I want to I want to see some of the new stuff they have because other companies come to their show. Right? Yeah. At least by, me, uh, uh, by you, I guess same thing.
0: Yeah, we, not a whole. I mean, they've got like Sodic and um. Oh, star lathe,
3: and that's about mm.
0: it. Um, no uh, other
3: mills cut. Co- uh no, yeah, no mills, but like a lot of work holding companies come and software yes. companies and stuff like that's that. That's right. I I like to go because like those work holding things, like there's things you don't even know about, and then you see at a trade show, you're like, oh, that would have solved so many issues I had. Well, and you. Yeah, I really want
0: to. I want to go to the IMTS show. Yeah,
3: I, I was gonna go this past one, but I, I I couldn't make it. It's a very expensive trip. Is that the one in Chicago? Yeah, yeah. it's uh-huh. it's bi yearly, but like. A flight there is expensive, and the hotels in that area are really expensive. Everyone tells me it's a very expensive show. Yeah, Mm. they have one in Chicago and then one in LA, I think. That's, That's a different type. But IMTS is like the biggest in the world. Oh, I thought IMTS was both, but maybe... That's the one in Chicago. It's like three buildings and multiple floors from what people are telling me. They're telling me, like, it's, you're not going to make the whole show. It's mm, like, you have yeah. no other way to go there to a plan. Like, oh, I'm here to, to buy a Tumblr. I got to go talk to all the Tumblr companies. And it's all categorized. Right.
5: Even bigger than Shot Show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's crazy.
3: It, it, to get a booth there, it's like millions of dollars.
1: Really. Mm, uh, no. it's, so, I, I have a question about the, about the deadlock. Um, you guys, uh, the finish on the deadlock, why why so few? Few options? Yeah, like, I I mean, I understand the process, but, um, but no real, no real diversity in in finishes. Is that just a stylistic choice or does it have to do with the process?
0: Um, uh, it's more about just trying to get them out the door. So if I start adding a whole bunch more options then my quantity goes way down mm. um, because now i'm processing different materials and my volume's less when i buy um, each material has a different finishing process um, so we'll probably start adding some higher end options either all damascus or some Mokotai. Um, and and things like that, but
1: um, yeah, that's just yeah. that's down the line at this point. It's
0: just down the line at this point. Right now, okay. I'm just trying to focus on on the processes and trying to get uh, knives out the door.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. So if You'd you're looking be... for a dressed-up deadlock, just just keep waiting. Yeah, hang both. tight,
0: and uh, eventually we'll have more Damascus blades, and you know, uh, probably some all Damas steel type stuff um but you know anytime you know if i set up and cut titanium so all the tools are set up for cutting titanium all the speeds and feeds everything and so then if i switch to carbon fiber now all the tools have to be changed out to tools for carbon fiber but if i do damascus now all the tools are swapped out for cutting steel um so it's and every time you do that you add Another, you know, material. It's just a whole another layer of complication mm-hmm. and and delays and uh, and less knives go out the door. And I already yeah. get enough <laughs> angry emails from people that can't get deadlocks. That uh, <laughs> I think it's best I just focus on on getting deadlocks out the door.
3: Yeah, I feel you like with the whole with a tool change. Like i I found a solution for that. Thankfully, finally, it just get a bigger tool holder. <laughs> and then you get both, right? Uh,
0: hmm. like, well, you like
3: steel and titanium all the time.
0: Like right now, I'm cutting. I'm making the frames on the deadlock, and I have 20 tools to cut the frames. 20, um, 20. <laughs> Wow! And so, right. and I've got a tool holder that holds 30. Um, but still, I mean, it doesn't. I'd have to have 50 or or more to be able to even uh, make the frames out of a different
3: material. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to get get a machine with 20 because I do batch work. So I'll I'll cut 40 blades, 40 handles. But now with employees, it's not working the best for cash flow. Right. So I I need a 20 tool changer so I can do sets, so I can do steel and tie at least at the same time. Yeah. And then uh, the the second thing you were saying about people are like sending you angry emails, I always said the knife industry, there's only one industry that I could think of that's similar is like the alcohol industry. Uh, people get mad at you when you don't want to take their money. Uh,
4: Yes. (laughs) I,
3: we get that sometimes. Like, why can't you just take
0: my money now? I don't want to wait for the drop. Just, I'll give you money now. I'll send it pay in full. I'll pay more. I'll (laughs) wait longer. Can I I pay up
3: front? I'm like, like, if you pay me up front, you're going to wait three times as long. Yeah.
0: We, we get all sorts of people trying to do that all the time. And so I'm, I'm pretty stern
3: about it. Uh, like I'm not complaining. It's a great issue to
1: have. Yeah, that's just, not terrible. It, it's
3: like yeah, like the only thing I could think of was alcohol after closing hour. It's like
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the other show I was thinking about was West Tech. Okay, that's uh, that's the one in in uh, Long Beach, I guess.
3: Hmm. Huh, maybe I could do that one actually. That family there. Oh, I just want to do like a big machining <coughs> show, except the local, because like we have Allen Hill and Haas is in there. So when they do their demo day. A lot of companies come. It's a pretty big event. Not pretty big, but, like, it's the only decent-sized one we have around here. Because uh, I, I want to go talk to them about some options about a new machine because I'm uh, really interested in getting Because I can't... I have height issues in my ceiling, so, like, I can't get a house with a side-mount tool changer. Oh. Yeah, that's... I watched one guy try to take his off and put it back on in his garage, and uh, it was a nightmare. Because, like, okay. I, I can get it inside the shop, but there's, like, uh, I-beams and stuff, and I can't get it past the I-beams. So it'd have to be like right by my entrance. And I don't want to do that.
1: Not enough space, dude. Yeah. Get one of those uh, room stretching <laughs> tools to start with. Yep, one of them room stretchers. Yeah, <laughs> the, the seal, them ceiling True expanders. Yeah, ceiling, okay. ceiling expanders, room stretchers.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Door uh, thingamajiggies.
3: Is, I'm looking at a deadlock here. It's like black, crinkle coat looking. Is that a coating, or is that a finish?
0: A black crinkle coating. Like, it's a um, crinkle coat. The, yeah, the crinkle coat. You haven't, you haven't used that before?
4: Classic one. <laughs> um, a... it's,
0: it's, it's probably just a real aggressive tumbling, and it looks dark.
3: Oh, okay. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's from the, the pre-order photos. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah, now you mentioned tumble. Dark... It kind of looks like a tumble, yeah. Yeah, it's just a tumbled finish.
1: Yeah, black black crinkle coat. I thought it yeah, was like flash. hammer spray paint, but like some <laughs> yeah. sort of powder coat or circle. <laughs> It's bedliner, Nick. Get over it, okay, man. <laughs>
4: Jesus.
1: I don't. I don't know if you wanted to say, uh, but I wanted to ask, uh, what was the final count uh, on the revolutions of fire and, and clothes uh, on on the deadlock currently? If if you wanted to say.
0: Yeah, I, um, I wrote it down. So off the top of my head, I think it was two hundred thousand. Um. It was close to that.
1: Okay, so looking at... You know, that's a lot. 200,000 is... But I mean, uh, essentially customers just sit there and and do that. They just fire the knife until it explodes.
0: I just got tired of... Because I could only do 10,000 cycles a day. Mm. um, And I just got tired of listening to the machine run. Because I had... Not only had I ran it for that 200,000... I had ran it for months and months and months... You know, it'd run it and then fail, and then redesign, run it and fail, redesign, change configurations, and test this coating versus that coating, and this material and that material. So it, the machine was wearing out. I had to replace parts on the machine because wow. it, it cycled so many times. And so, um, my goal was was a hundred thousand, and then after I made it past that, it was exciting. And then by the time we got to two hundred thousand cycles, I was like, okay, this is. Worked. I'm. It works. It's it works. <laughs> <laughs>
5: how many cycles? Two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand. Wow. Well, you, how long did that had, take? You had
3: to make that quarter mil though. Um. Yeah. Uh.
0: So it was ten thousand. So it was. Uh. Would that be twenty days? No. Damn. Yeah. Twenty days. Because we can only do firing. T- it's of constant extreme. firing. Open. Close. Open. Close. <laughs> pretty
5: quick, or like pretty steady. It's a,
0: it's about that uh, pace. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I saw okay. a video of it a while back. It's I like did once
5: a... every second, kind
0: of. Yeah, it 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 uh, the full cycle of open and close is probably four seconds.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you have to let the
2: is it faster than that? It faster than
0: that? It. A <laughs> um, no, it was just the the way it was designed. Um, there is a video on my Instagram where I show the the machine opening and closing.
4: Hmm. Oh
5: yeah. Uh, So it's uh, like, give or take like close to like 58 hours or something like that. Which is pretty um, insane.
0: Maybe. I know that, so we could get 10,000 cycles in a day, but that wasn't a 12 hour day. That was probably an eight hour day.
5: Okay. Quite Um, a long. And and I wouldn't
0: run it at night because if it failed, I wanted to be there and watch it. I want to see when it failed um and so so we had two counters on it one counter that would measure if it actually opened and closed and then one counter on how many times the machine thought it was opening and closing it
1: gotcha Huh. Um, you're talking about misfires yeah so if it
0: misfired i could see if there was a difference between the two measurements
1: hmm okay i gotcha
0: And then, like, because sometimes what would happen is, um, uh, depending on the material, it would start to get sticky after so many cycles. And so I could come in and I could see, oh, okay, so it's um, and the machine was built to have a little bit of give to it so it wouldn't break. Uh, So if it got a little sticky, it wouldn't close it or wouldn't fire it open. Um, but then it might do it on the next cycle.
4: Hmm. Uh,
0: and so it would skip cycles once in a while. So anyways, by having the two counters, I could tell if I was in sync with, um, with opening and closing and not sticking.
1: Okay. Well wow. yeah, that, that makes
0: sense. That's that, that's that extra step. Yeah, we put a lot of time in, in uh, the R&D on, on that deadlock.
1: What what did R&D stand for again?
5: Yeah, that's what's I was Wreck and <laughs> Destroy. <Wreck-and-destroy>. Wreck and
1: Destroy. That's <Wreck-and-destroy. laughs> right. Okay. Wreck and Destroy. <laughs> that's great.
4: That's very make cool. make t-shirts. Yeah, yeah hot knives Wreck and Destroy. Yeah. That's
1: not
0: a bad idea. <laughs> I like
5: yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah R&D. Oh,
3: yeah. Man. Just R&D till it works.
4: Hello, this is Philip with Bladeology Tech support. At this time Lavon hijacked Elijah's feed.
5: Uh hello, Lavon. Hi. How are you Hi, doing? How do you, how do you
3: just crash our podcast yeah, have it, difficulties? How did, how, yeah, what's
1: going on?
6: Oh, I don't know. I I just figured I guess I you know, you guys needed a veteran to come in here and show you how things are done.
5: hmm Okay. <laughs>
6: yeah, you sure did
3: that.
5: Well, take over the show, lot. <laughs> yeah.
6: I mean, I mean, I haven't used Skype in about a decade, so here we are. <laughs> so, who I have in here. Is the whole crew in here? Adam yeah, Gav- the whole crew's
5: here. Yeah, oh, somebody added. That's how you got in here. Uh, Grant too. Oh, hi. Grant's
6: here. We were just uh, talking about your copper pipes and how magnificent ah. they are. Mm-hmm. I figured that would come up.
0: <laughs> it has to. It Every i that's probably the memory I always think of when I think of you, Levon. So I was at Levon's great. house.
6: Not the doorknobs.
0: The, and that comes up too, yeah. But So Levon's showing me his house, at, which is a cool house, and it's got cool doorknobs, and it's made in like the 1800s or something. And the thing that he's most proud of... Oh, you
6: stop it now.
0: Is down in the basement. There's a whole bunch of copper pipes that Oof. somebody's sweat together. Um, you ha- you it looks like every house biggest... that, <laughs> that yeah. has copper pipes, and he comes out he has a curtain in front of it, <laughs> and he prepares everybody, <laughs> and he says, "Okay, here it is." And he pulls the curtain back, and it's just a bunch of copper pipes. <laughs> that go to a hot water heater or something.
6: <laughs>
5: I have yet to see this. I need to. Mm. I need to go downstairs and look at this.
6: You've been sleeping in front of them the whole time you've been here.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I figured. Yeah, is that how that works?
6: Yeah.
5: that's what that weird red. Like room back Yes, there is. Yeah.
6: that's exactly what that is. Yeah. <laughs> it's dramatically lit now, Gavin.
5: Is yeah, it? I,
0: I believe yeah. it. Well, and it was funny because Levan was so excited, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's great, Levan. Wow." are
5: some <laughs> copper pipes right there. Those are yeah. some
1: copper pipes. Copper pipes yeah. can be, you know, shiny and Look, made of copper.
6: You know, some somebody out there would love to get their hands on those
3: copper pipes. Just
6: saying.
4: Just, For just bring them out, my shop.
3: They
1: won't last two seconds. Yeah, scrap <laughs> them. <laughs> um, so, yeah. what else
6: have you been talking about besides
1: a my, whole, a whole uh, wealth of things on podcast?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Mostly just your doorknobs and your copper pipes. Yeah. Wow. yeah. About that's...
6: the guy that
0: sold his prototype Deadlock, you know? Yes. Yeah, oh, that yeah that's right. You
5: sold no. it. Trader. Didn't Traderist.
1: You? Traderist. Yeah.
6: I did, and I need another one.
1: Well, you can't sell the second one you got to hold on would, to it.
6: Well, no, I wouldn't sell the second one. Oh, okay. The reason, the reason I had to let the prototype go is because it was a prototype, and I, could, I never carried it. Right. But uh, the Deadlock is one of my favorite knives of all time. Well, thank you. Oh,
4: cool. Mm-hmm.
6: Just, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a good thing.
3: Are you sure that the, Cy- the Mantis Cyclops is in your your favorite knife of all time? Uh, we don't bring up
6: the Mantis Cyclops. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. We did. We've totally... Didn't oh, the Vicious about Circle. The, the Vicious Circle or the, the Cyclops. The custom versions of that thing were awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we the custom. a bunch to uh, different makers, right? And they all put their spin on the circle, so to
0: Yeah, speak. so we... Uh, yeah, we made the we called it the ring knife, um, and doesn't have a ring to it. Yeah, <laughs> not like vicious does. Right. Uh. So. So yeah, we started making customs of those, and then, the custom or the front plates, I would leave blank, and I'd send them out in a set of three to different knife makers, and then they would finish the front mm-hmm. in their own style, and huh. so we had maybe. 12 different knife makers yeah. like uh, Tashi did a set, Lee Williams Jeremy Marsh
3: uh, Rudy Lala mm-hmm. I'm actually uh, watching the video but it's on mute so yeah. now, now I'm trying to look mm-hmm. over these, these again and guess who did what <laughs> yeah
5: mm-hmm. uh, well you said Marsh and Tashi, so I'm sold
3: yeah they both did really cool ones
5: Yeah.
3: oh and then at the end of the, that 2012 Blade Show video you bring out another one of those, uh, the dagger with the lever mechanism, the cat mechanism, except oh. with different color of G10. Hmm. So I don't know if it's a whole nother knife or not.
0: Really? I probably just had different, uh, handles that I was putting on. Oh, because it
3: was black G10 before, and now it's Desert 10. So that's, that's... Yeah. Pretty
6: cool.
0: <laughs> but Yeah, so that was kind of fun. I, that was a fun project. I liked that.
6: That might be a good one to resurrect, uh, pretty soon. I think. Uh, there's a lot of traction for stuff like that you 're right on but deadlocks
0: the yeah, deadlocks, deadlocks.
6: Mm-hmm. you mean the concept of having
0: other people finish them or the ring knife the, itself the the the,
3: the the
6: the ring itself the ring
3: yeah. knife
1: itself i 'd say probably mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. yeah probably both I, I know i do a, a steep business with those uh, out of the front of the house um in the store actually i'm sure the yes yeah, stil-
3: yeah. is, is Matt this
1: still well. a thing or is it a
3: clone? Uh no, it's still yeah, yeah.
0: And they're they're making another batch. They had a lot of problems with um well, they had the vicious circles um mm-hmm. or no, sorry, the Cyclops, which those were always pretty poor quality and not well made at all, and they had a bunch
6: of different variants of those too, with like mother of pearl and stuff like that,
0: um yeah, no, so that's the vicious circle so then vicious we circle then we moved to the vicious circle um which was a little bit smaller much better quality um and then it had the different inlays and things mm. um but then uh as mantis changed ownership or leadership um we started using a new factory and then that factory decided they didn't want to make them anymore because it was too hard. And now there's a new factory that's making them, and they had some problems, so they had to be sent back. And so we're we're waiting now on a shipment that I think is going to be landing any moment now. Um,
6: Can I just say that Mantis sounds more like a huge criminal organization than it does, <laughs> than it does a knife manufacturer? That should have been a, a clue. <laughs>
2: Yeah.
5: Hmm. You know, one (laughs) thing, the Mantis, we didn't talk about was the gearhead.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. And the gearhead's pretty new. And, you know, they did a good job on that as well. Uh, Hey, showed
5: it to us um, in January in Vegas. It was was pretty neat. I actually had somebody, I was like, put up on Instagram, ask me some questions. And one of the questions was, am I going to do a design with a Hawk Knives lock on it? And they're like, oh, did you also see the Mantis? Gearhead, yeah. i'm like yeah i did see that
6: mm-hmm. i haven't even got to touch the the gear head yet I, I think i thought that thing looked pretty cool
5: it's pretty awesome i mean it's got it's like unlike anything else mechanism wise.
3: Yeah. yeah once you get the hang, hang of it because it's a little weird in the beginning it, it has a high fidget factor and you get to watch the gears move around so
6: it's yeah, great just like
5: stoned. push down that uh that lever and it just kind of opens it up you yeah, know, it's the, funny. The,
6: I think that speaking of that, the hawk lock is probably uh, one of the most underutilized things in in the knife industry right now. I think.
0: Yeah, I'd like to come out with more hawk locks, um, and and you missed the beginning of this conversation. The That's log, true, but uh, that. our our life is kind of taken up with deadlocks these days, so it's it's been tough for us to get away from that, um, but. Someday it'd be nice to go back to making more Hawk Locks and coming up with new mechanisms and going in those directions. But on the gearhead, so we made that, uh, how many years ago? Probably uh,
2: 10 plus. 15 years ago we yeah. came
0: up with that design. Maybe. Uh, so that was another design that we came up with for Kershaw. Um, it was back when the Orange County Chopper license was up for grabs in the knife industry and then kershaw mm-hmm. got it for a little bit and they asked us to design a knife for the orange choppy ca- uh, orange cha- oh we've been talking too long the orange, orange Chopper. no just occ oh, <laughs> yeah, occ we haven't been talking for like
5: over two hours but it's good uh great
0: um, and so So they asked us to design something for that line and Mm. that was the gear head and they loved it. They thought it was great, but ultimately it was too complicated for them, uh, Mm. to manufacture. And, and so it kind of got shelved and then, uh, we actually showed it to Mantis maybe eight years ago and they loved it and we just kept putting it off and, uh, yeah. Anyways, here we are now. It's finally
1: uh made and hit the market. Very cool.
4: Oh.
5: Pretty awesome.
1: So yeah. for, for deadlock batches, you just did a batch. If you didn't get on that batch, that sucks. Uh there may be more available or uh so but you're you're planning on um you're planning on putting the, the deadlock through its its paces. Will there be another batch drop at some point in the future?
0: Yes uh so we're uh this batch we're hoping will be finished in maybe five months or less Uh, okay Um, and so uh, some point before the batch is done we'll probably open things up again um i'm probably going to sneak in some fancier ones during this batch so we'll have some damasteel versions some tymascus stuff um i haven't really made a final decision on what yet, but hmm. uh, but I'll just be kind of sliding those in as I fulfill this batch.
1: Yeah, like show knives or something?
0: Yeah, I will have show knives and then and then I'll I'll just do like a uh a drop. So I'll um I'll just get, you know, ten or fifteen Damasteel versions all done and then just do a drop in between oh, while okay. doing this batch.
1: Oh that's that's cool. That's something that people can look forward to. Yeah. Speaking of which, how how do they know about the things that are happening with the deadlock?
0: Uh, So all deadlock sales are done through our newsletter. So you have to go to our site, sign up for the newsletter, and then we just blast out information through that. Uh, Generally, we'll put something on the website afterwards. Um, We might do a post on Instagram, but to be the first to know what's going on, you have to be on the newsletter.
1: Okay, so newsletters really—that's the best um, best way to know what's happening with y'all and and where these knives are. And and yeah. once in a while, I I do see you guys have an awesome program, which I wish more people did. Um, I feel like makers used to do it more. Uh, but if someone has a deadlock they want to sell, they can go through you, uh, which is neat because then you know it's like an official, you know everything's legit. It's a it's a tuned up, beautiful deadlock. Um, so yeah. if you're on the newsletter, that's that's another great way to to get a chance to get your hands on one
0: yeah exactly so they'll send the knife into us we'll inspect it make sure it's good if it has issues we'll fix them do a spa treatment to it and then we'll facilitate the sale put it on our um, newsletter um and sell it that way
1: yeah that's pretty legit yeah well Uh, all right um and then obviously uh email contact information uh all that good business is on the website, but just the same, what's what's a good email for you if someone absolutely had to reach out?
0: Yeah, so email uh, blademaker25 at msn.com. The website is hawknifedesigns.com. You can also go to deadlockotf.com, which will direct you to our site. Um, And then, yeah, all the information's there. Then you can reach out to us, email us. Um, I do prefer emails because then India can answer them for me. Um, there you go. But if you send me a Facebook message or an Instagram message, I don't always get those right away. And I forget to write people back sometimes. So email is the best way. Also, I, if I need to, uh, remember a conversation or, uh, I always search my emails first. Um, so that's a, a better way for me to organize information.
1: I, I hear you. I love email. Email all the way. India is super fast with the responses. Anytime I ever reached out on that email, she's she fires right back.
0: Except when uh, it's during a drop. I think right. we had about 1,000 emails this Ooh. last drop. So okay. it, it took a while to okay. get through all, right. all of that.
5: 1,000? <laughs> <laughs> Damn.
0: That's a
1: few. Yeah. Okay.
5: All
0: right. Some of it, <laughs> and so it wasn't all customers, but a lot of it is, you know, it generates an order, right and then it generates a, a credit card processing thing and then two or three emails from a customer you know did i really get one did i it's, i don't know it's just there's a lot of emails that happen after right. drops
1: yeah cool so email uh check out the social medias um hopefully uh i know you guys are busy we do like to have makers back on once in a while uh mm-hmm. To tell cool stories and, and chat. Hopefully you guys can do that in the future uh, once things settle down a little bit.
4: Yeah, yeah of course. Sure.
5: What's your uh, guys' show schedule look like for the rest of the year and next year?
0: So we're going to USN a couple weeks, uh-huh. um, and I'll have six knives, um, and they're a little bit different. We've been playing around with um, with some heat coloring in the oven. Oh, uh, nice. So the colors are more consistent. Um, whereas with the flame, you get kind of the rainbow iridescent looks. Um, so, so yeah, I'll have a few with the new solid colors out of the oven. Um, we'll also have one knife that we're auctioning off for knife rights. Uh, so oh, all the proceeds will go to knife rights. Um, so that'll be cool. Uh, and then... After that, we might go to Blade Show West. Uh, you should
5: make it, man. You should yeah, come you after. Should it's come it's a, fun a fun time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we've been th- tossing that around. Uh, so we haven't reached out to them and got a table or anything yet. But uh-huh. I-, I figured we'd just wait till the last minute and call them and see if they'll allow us to.
5: Oh, I'm sure they'll be cool with that.
4: Yeah. yeah. So that's
0: that's kind of the plan. Just wait till the last minute, see if we have any knives. Yeah. Um, it's even this show, the USN show. It's it's a little tough because I don't really have the knives. Um, so I'm just kind of pulling them from customer's orders, uh, which I hate to do, but I also hate just canceling the show. So um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. we, we do have other uh, knives coming along, so it won't take too long to replace the customer's orders.
5: Replenish the, uh, yeah. The
0: batch um, but the that's supply. essentially what we'd have to do when we do blade show. So yeah. um, I'll just kind of, feel it out and see how how orders are going and where we're at on things and then of course uh, we will be at shot show um but that's more of just a show for us just to walk around and see what everybody's doing in the industry and then yeah, get a
5: eye for what's going on
0: yeah and then yeah. blade show um cool. wow all
5: right,
4: that's
5: back, right
1: back in Atlanta at. right
0: yeah
5: yeah i guess we'll uh we'll all see you here in a few weeks? Or like, yep. man, it's coming down to like one week, I guess. No. no like, two weeks. No, yeah, it's, it's two, two weeks. For me, it's one week. For me, it's one week because yeah. I head to Vegas a week early. But. Okay.
0: I was about to cancel this podcast
3: and
1: go back to work. Right?
5: <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> oh, wait a second. Yeah, it is two weeks. Okay, yeah, it's like two and a half weeks. Yeah, I'm
3: like, no, I'm starting nine knives tomorrow. I'm like, no, I, I, yeah.
1: I need two weeks. On <laughs> uh, Nick's schedule, it's still a month, so don't worry about it's it. It's like three months away. Yeah, be fine. Yeah, don't worry about it. Very cool. Well, we'll uh, we'll all be in Vegas, uh, so that'll be cool. Um, unless I'm forgetting something, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that it's been awesome of you guys to take some time and, and be on uh, be on the cast with us and chat and talk trash.
3: Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to mention before we do the end
2: roll? Uh, yeah, not that I can think. Yeah, of. Yeah, I don't know. We'll think of something later. Yeah, probably. as soon as we're done, <laughs> we'll, we'll think them. about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As soon as well, there to come. So, we'll save something for next time. There yep. you go.
1: That's mm-hmm. that's the spirit.
2: Part two, everybody.
3: Cool. Okay. Well, on that note, Nick Truprin of NCC Knives out. You can find me at uh, nccknives.com,
5: NCC Knives on Instagram, or NCCknives at yahoo.com. Elijah Isham of Isham Bladeworks. You can find me at uh, Isham Bladeworks on Instagram, Uh Isham Bladeworks at gmail.com. And uh, pretty much at any knife show. So,
1: I'm Jeremiah Burbank. Uh, I'm gonna sign off. You can find me at the Day Job PVK Vegas on Instagram, and uh, yeah, that's a good spot for it. Thanks. Good night,
2: everybody. Okay. Thank you, guys. All right, Thank bye. you.